Welcome to Media Evil, a medieval pop culture podcast, where we talk about how medieval and medieval-inspired movies, TV, and books depicts the medieval world. What did they get right? What did they get wrong? And what do they tell us about how modern people see the medieval past? I'm Sarah Ifdecker, a medieval historian, and today I have with me another medievalist. Welcome, Mabel. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, um, I'm M -M -M Mabel Slattery. I am, I guess, technically a M -M -M medievalist. I did me medieval studies at York and have done almost nothing with it since. But uh, I specialised in uh, M -M -M medieval humour and I am also a stand up comedian occasionally and do other such ridiculous things. So, <laughs> also, I do have a bit of a stammer, so just try and think of it as like 10% extra free and we'll, we'll all be good. <laughs> I like that, the 10% extra. <laughs> Today, uh, we watched, I guess you have seen all of, and I have seen the first three episodes of Maid Marian and Her Merry Men, which was on BBC from 1989 to 1994. I am so ludicrously excited. <laughs> 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 like, it's, it was like the first thing I thought of when they said about like doing, um, when it was like medieval media, because it's such a weird uh, mainstay of um, sort of British millennial TV, I guess, because it's like I saw I saw it first when I was very very little, and then they repeated they kept repeating it on like um, they did four series and a Christmas special, and they re repeated it lots on like CBBC, which is the the kids BBC bit of the channel before the, there were channels for everything, but because this was in the days when there were only four television channels. And ah. sometimes a fifth if you could get it. Um, right. But you could, couldn't get it. I'm, I live in Cornwall. There is no way you were getting <laughs> the, the, the fifth television channel. You're about my age, right? I was born in 87? 89, so yeah. Okay, yeah. So this is like the, the show that if I were born in England would have been like also probably my like childhood TV show potentially. Yeah, it's, it's, you can mention it to pretty much anyone sort of my age and a little bit older and they'll all go, oh my god, yeah! So <laughs> it's... And usually sing the theme tune, that's... that's. <laughs> yeah, it has not uh, made its way to America, so I was able to watch it on YouTube and it looks like actually a lot of the episodes are on YouTube, but that it looked like was pretty much the only option for anything streaming and I also couldn't even find uh, DVDs available that were guaranteed to actually be the correct uh, region for American DVD players. No. Oh, it's <laughs> so British anyway that the bears, I'm not sure, like I suddenly, I re-watched I re re it in preparation for this and then was like, oh no, there's so much I have to explain. <laughs> like, oh no, this is going to be the weirdest cross-cultural um, mashup of all time. Well, as we'll talk about uh, when we when we get a little bit further on, there was definitely at least a couple of things where at some point I was like, that's clearly a reference that I did not get that I'm yeah, going to look yeah. up now. <laughs> well, we're, we're um, I, I'm, I'm, I, some, some of them even I don't get, but, but um, I'm willing to go through the ones I do <laughs> understand. <laughs> Fantastic. 
The people who are in this show are not people that I am very familiar with acting-wise. Yeah. Kate Lonergan uh, starred as Marion. The main thing that I found out about her is that at some point she apparently quit acting and started the Blackheath Window Box Company, which was described as a bespoke containerized gardening company, although it folded a couple of years ago, sadly. Oh, that's really sad. Uh, <laughs> containerized gardens sound fun. Yeah. No, I didn't really know a lot about Kate Lonergan either, except that she was Mae Marion. So, but I think yeah. that's what everyone would recognize her from here. So, yeah. Wayne Morris is Robin. Uh, I also do not know who he is. He was in a couple of things and I can't really remember that. Basically, they, they're all kind of, all the people in this are kind of like mainstay actors of like random British comedy that I can see, which is quite good. But um, yeah. yeah, the one for, for me is, is obviously the Sheriff of Nottingham is uh, Tony Robinson, which is great because he also wrote it. And, oh, okay. You know, so he wrote the he wrote the series. So he he just and, and you can tell bad guy. <laughs> you can tell just because of the sheer amount of he hands it up. You know it's it's great. Yeah, and he definitely has a lot of the best lines. So oh yeah, definitely. Well, you know, it's sheriffs <laughs> of Nottingham, isn't it? They're a bit like buses. Yeah, you, know? you will, will, will wait. You will wait forever for you know an Alan Rickman and three Pat Buttrams turn up at once. It's... <laughs> uh, ironically, he apparently became involved in real life British politics. Oh yeah, yeah, he's well, sort of. In the mm-hmm. same way that a lot of British actors did yeah. on stage, he's but he's also really um, famous for doing Time Team, which is the sort of archaeology show in Britain yeah, that's I saw on that in the daytime. When I was looking at Wikipedia. Yeah, that sounded fun. Yeah, um, it's the, uh, yeah. weird. <laughs> <laughs> so, and the two people that I've actually seen in anything else are uh, Danny John Jules, who plays Barrington, is one of the like background doo wop singers in the Little Shop of Horrors movie musical. He's also the cat in Red Dwarf for more, more comedy, more minded fans. Oh, so, I have not seen that. I recommend it highly. It's very, very okay. good. But okay. he, he is—he is the cat in that. But he's—he's um, he's mostly—he was mostly you known. He did quite a lot of Broadway and West End okay. stuff. So he's like a proper, like if you've ever seen him, like when, when you see him move, like he—he he yeah. moves and the dances like crazy, and it's, yeah. it's, it's really good. Yeah. And then uh, Mike Edmonds, who plays Little Ron, um, is also in Time Bandits. He's an Ewok in Return of the Jedi and a <laughs> goblin in two of the Harry Potter movies. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's <laughs> always great. I had uh, the, it was the, the ones for me were, were uh, Mark Billiam and David Lloyd, who are mm-hmm. the Gary and Graham, the, the henchmen of uh, mm-hmm. the sheriff. Because um, Mark Billingham is, is a stand up and he's still around. So it was like it was me going, hmm. Mark Billingham. <laughs> and then you've got uh, the guy who plays Rabies, he's um, Howard Lee Lewis. He was in Princess Thieves as well. Right. <laughs> and they used that because they were sort of about the same time. But, but yeah. also, like, he was he was so beloved and he died fairly recently or, you know, mm-hmm. within the last couple of years. And it yeah. was just like an outpouring of like, oh, my God, rabies. <laughs> and then King John is played by for Forbes Collins, who but, but, but he also plays Richard III and their sister. Richard I, I I, even. Sorry. And yeah. their sister. This is when you find out I'm a really bad medievalist because I can't even do kings. <laughs> I mean, ironically, I'm actually better on the English kings and do not study England than I am on the uh, Catalan Aragonese kings, which is the area I actually study. <laughs> it's um, it's, it's not as bad as my friend Erica, who does the uh, who does the French royals, and they're just all called Jean. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. It's uh, <laughs> it's terrible. Everyone's I mean, I guess in every royal family, it's like, there's like, you know, four names. Like, they're even worse than regular medieval people for oh, yeah. uh, name diversity. Well, weirdly, coming back to the, the like, Robin Hood stuff, like, John is a 
was such a crap k- king that no king has right. ever been called Judge John since, which is quite <laughs> right. cool. Yeah, I was uh, just talking in the uh, in the other uh, Robin in one of the other recent Robin Hood episodes, mm. uh, the Disney movie that yeah. uh, you know some one of the lines in the kind of mock song about him is uh, "Too late to be known as John the First, he'll always be known as John the Worst" or something yeah, like that. Yeah. It's like it's true. He's not known as John the First because there's no other John. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's quite a it's quite a um it's quite a good cast in that it's that sort of level of people. And um, one of the things that should be noted is like the first the first while of the series was also had uncredited writing by Richard Curtis apparently so hmm. so the Blackadder feel yeah. is strong in this one yeah definitely because uh, Tony Robinson's also in Blackadder right yeah he's Baldrick uh, okay, so he yeah. always has a cunning plan yeah um, I've not seen I have not seen uh, Blackadder in a really long time at some point I'll probably rewatch it like for the podcast so well, basically basically move he gets to really move up in the world because mm-hmm. uh it's um as the sheriff of Nottingham because as Bubba Blackadder he's always filthy so at least <laughs> as the sheriff he gets to be clean which is quite nice <laughs> it's exciting for him yeah <laughs> at this point it's probably time to move on to the first official segment which is the section we call enumeratio or the recap section so just a kind of very brief summary of, uh, for since it's a TV show that we're doing today, just the premise. So Maine Marion and her Merry Men is a children's program, which is, I would say, lovingly mocking the Robin Hood legend, only with Marion as the real hero and Robin instead as a cowardly tailor who becomes a freedom fighter and gains notoriety as the supposed leader of the Merry Men, pretty much entirely by accident, plus a healthy dose of misogyny. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good. That's a good summation. So, uh, so that's the kind of overall premise of the show. So, I've only seen the first three episodes. So, the first one is uh, how the band got together, and is in fact basically the kind of origin story for Maid Marian and Robin and the Merry Men. So, Barrington does these like Rasta raps, which are the only thing that I feel like uh, maybe do not entirely hold up to a uh, for a modern audience. Well, you've got to have. Danny John Drill song in there because you've got him you've got to use him uh, I definitely like it I definitely like that he's like that he's singing like he does a great job they definitely did differ as well like in the a few episodes because the first one's yeah. very uh the first one's like one sort of style and the second the, the, as you'll see in like the second episode it starts with a more like specials style uh, yeah thing and I quite I quite like how they've done that but yeah um, yeah it's 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 so horrifically late 80s early 90s it it does make me go oh dear yeah it's very that he's also one of the characters who first ends up coming on the wrong side of the law as he is imprisoned and uh, then sent to a trial supposedly because of his efforts to sell recently expired rats yeah and rabies is arrested for selling raffle tickets without a license which I yes. think is quite lovely yes which which you don't mess with the raffle that's like the one rule in in like british life you don't you, you don't mess with the raffle uh, oh so, so that's quite that's a... another the first of the british references yeah. that i did not really get <laughs> raffles um, are ridiculously important like well i didn't realize how important until i got up north and started understanding about meat raffles and um, that's like where they just put a, ba- a massive like tray of different meat and then you win it in a raffle in a pub oh, on wow. friday night okay i'd take some meat <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's like, oh, fantastic. <laughs> yeah. 
but yeah, I like what I like about the uh, the out of date rats is that they're all various crisp flavors as well. <laughs> yes, uh, and like very particularly British crisp flavors too, like cheese and onion uh, prawn cocktail. Like these are yeah, not yeah. available. Oh, they not chip flavors in the United States. Oh, okay. Because like, <laughs> he's like selling them out of a coat as well, and he's going like salt and vinegar, cheese and onion. It's like, oh, that's wonderful. Salt and vinegar you can get here. Oh, good. Salt, well, this is, you'd hope. Yeah, no, that's 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 a good standard one. I also like that the sell-by date is the 16th of July, 1195, and, and the day is the 17th of July, 1195. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, <laughs> they're sent to prison, and uh, Marion appears... Well, they're sent to the stocks first. I think that's the, oh, the important yes, that's thing, because right. they're first sent yes. to the... Yeah, they're, they're both arrested yeah. like, at different times, and then sent to the stocks. And yeah, and then and then we get to meet, uh, and then we get to meet Marion, um, which I found really interesting is that she's not actually a maid; she's a peasant, which is really nice. Yeah, yeah, like, she's just like a normal peasant lady, and yeah. uh, she has a pet tadpole named Edwina, whom she is trying to find a home for. Yeah, well, she she put a lot of effort into that tadpole, taught it to sit. She did. <laughs> so she's basically going around with this tadpole that she has in a barrel. She first runs into little Ron, who is guarding the bridge, and uh, she manages to throw him overboard and then go by with Edwina, and then runs into Nottingham and Barrington and Rabies, who are in the stocks. I find this bit really, really interesting. I, I should add that little Ron is guarding that bridge with way too much zeal for what is a bridge over a stream. Um, right. <laughs> but, which, is, which is lovely. It's a good parody of those kind of bridge guarding scenes. Oh yeah, definitely. And then you've got, but then when they get to the stocks and the, the sheriff is chucking tomatoes at them and in at their faces while they're in the stocks and going, and they're going, it's an historically funny joke chucking a tomato. And it's, I find it, <laughs> it's actually like a really interesting, like as someone who d- does humour as like mm-hmm. the, the bare thing i found it really interesting but because actually it's explaining to like the audience the notion of p- 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 punching up and p- p- punching down because he's going it's a really right. funny joke throwing it at someone and he's it's like well you're all you'd all better laugh and all the peasants are like well that's kind of us it's it's that thing of like gallows humor is for those on the gallows if it's not yeah if you're not there it's part of the execution yeah. so like that's that's a really interesting idea and the notion of like oh well throwing tomatoes at people is a historically funny joke which i quite like the idea of yeah that was a great moment like antique comedy just chucking a tomato yeah it's not by the way it's not no (laughs) i was gonna say it's mostly penises i feel like it being funny is something modern and in the middle ages it was really just supposed to be humiliating Mm. yeah i think it's and again, it's it's that punching up, punching down thing. Yeah, it's it's, it's quite interesting. But, but but yeah, like I I do quite like the idea that this guy's just just going. Well, you better laugh. And these all these villagers are like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> the villagers are also just extremely dour and also very dirty, which is kind of par for the course for medieval peasants. Well, yeah, but then, you know, it's that sort of thing of going like, oh, but were they really? And it's, it's the first the Barrington's first song is all about like mud and how everything is really muddy, and you're sort of looking at it. Yeah, and. I'm, I've got to say, considering how the weather has been this week, <laughs> I feel like it's been very, uh, I feel like watching it has been very accurate. <laughs> it's just like, oh. It's like a clear Red- depiction of English weather. Yeah, yeah. This is, it's, a, it's a completely accurate depiction of, uh, of, of Britain in, to be fair, any time of year. <laughs> <laughs> any time of year, any year. Yeah, yeah, totally. Just how it is. 
Marion shows up and so she's got this tadpole in a barrel, which she then throws in Nottingham's face and the tadpole, I think, goes up in his mouth and then he kind of spits it out and ends up going up Raby's nose. Can we take a moment to just think about the fact that the water makes the sheriff fall over? How much force is this water <laughs> packing? It's just like an entire fistful beach of water just going over this guy from this time, from this one bucket. because Marion's a badass. She throws oh, that she... water hard. Totally, yeah. <laughs> yeah, then he spits it out and it goes somehow gets up Rabies' nose, which is a lovely thought. <laughs> I think. Uh, <laughs> Lovely's one, right? <laughs> and then, um, but yeah, then then she, in order to get out of it, she takes uh, Robin, who she's met, who's this, like, Robin is the, Robin of Kensington is the ultimate sort of, um, like, I guess then they, they're called yuppies, I guess. And, but like the ultimate, yeah. like, total city boy, you know, uh, who really loves the royals. and He describes himself as the only really trendy tailor in all of Nottingham, which I love. <laughs> Yeah. Well, <laughs> oh, yeah. You've got to have standards. <laughs> but yeah, he's like, um, so he's he's making the, the king's underpants, which I think yes. is a... I've got to be really careful. This is the first like real hurdle I've got to in like British stuff is like not calling them just pants. <laughs> <laughs> right. But um, they actually yeah, do he's... call them underpants in the, mo- in the, in the show. Which, they do uh... as well. But, yeah, which yeah. I, I appreciate it as an American. Oh, definitely. Yeah, he's, he's making the king's underpants, and uh, well, but he's absolutely loves the royals and just thinks they've got that real like je ne sais quoi thing. And uh, it's and, <laughs> yeah. and she's there like this is disgusting. Get me away from him. But but she takes him hostage, um, and it suddenly turns into a Daz advert because she's going. And you do you know how hard it is to get blood out of weasel wool? And they're all going, oh yeah, I got, I had it, and I'll never get those stains out. And it's just like, oh, you expect like. Danny Baker to turn up with washing powder. <laughs> oh, so that is also a reference I did not get that that's turning on a specific ad. Yeah, well, it's um that sort of flavour of adverts where they go, uh, oh, the blood is in this weasel wool. I never know how to get those stains out. And then someone turns up and goes, aha, well, you've not tried. <laughs> you know, the, the dad's challenge to get whites really white or whatever it <laughs> was. It's Yeah, like I say, it's all very specific to that sort of, yeah. period of, of Britain as well like where it's the again only four channels so so you've got the two channels that don't show adverts and then you've got two channels that do and then the t- two channels that do it's just the same adverts constantly <laughs> I also really liked that Nottingham very clearly does not care at all about Marion killing this person no. the real way that she succeeds in taking him hostage is by pointing out that if she stabs him, then she will get blood all over King John's underpants. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, what, what are you going to do? You know, if, if they're, they're really trendy pants, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> can't lose but, those. So that's really cool. And then, but, but um, also, but she, when she, when they're knocking them all over and all that kind of thing, they're getting lots of laughs from the crowd, which kind of backs up the idea of the, yeah. the humour being... The, the whole punching up, punching down thing. Yeah, absolutely. But, but yeah, and then and then we see them like as soon as they run away, we're shown like another like like example of of like supposedly not that strong things knocking people out because Robin manages to knock Graham and or Gary out with underpants. Right. Like <laughs> right, you're basically kind of throwing underpants at them. Like he just waves them, and then this, <laughs> then suddenly someone comes out from behind a tree, knocked out, and it's just just <laughs> like what? 
<laughs> yeah, and this also, because he's now essentially attacked one of the guards, this now makes him no longer a hostage, but somebody who is an accomplice. So he is now in a position where he basically has to join her. Oh, yeah, definitely. And so she starts kind of gathering a band. I love her comment. I, I can't remember if it's her comment uh, that uh, people will name pubs after us. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that is the that is the one. Um, and it's um, we'll surround ourselves with a band of highly attractive and respectable young men who are just a little bit rough. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the pe- naming a pub after you is like the highest mark of b- British success. So right, you know. and and like Robin signs up just for the design potential, which is quite lovely. Yes. I think that's really sweet that he's kind of got an in. I love that. And I love that he's a really committed tailor, that he clearly sees it as his art and loves his job. Yeah, yeah. And it's not just, like, it's not just a job for him. It's a calling to be a tailor. Yeah, so he says, you know, we'll really have our own costumes. Originals, I mean, not out of a catalog. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) And is so thrilled at the fact that he gets to make the costumes for this band of attractive but slightly rough men. Then we cut to the the castle when they're, like, in in their little sort of trial type thing so we get to meet king john for the first time well first you know real proper meeting of him which is wonderful because he sentences them to uh lines and torture to which rabies <laughs> reacts like, i hate lines <laughs> <laughs> that also struck me as a very british thing that i don't remember ever doing that in oh. uh, like as a like i don't remember that being a punishment in american schools uh, where you would have to write lines there used to be a teacher in my school who would make you do if you got in trouble or didn't bring your homework in or something like that he'd make you write out a hundred lines in your lunch break mm-hmm. and then you'd take them to him and he'd rip them up in front of you and then just throw oh, them away and then tell you to harsh. go away yeah <laughs> like like lines is a really is a really like those really useless waste of time p- p- punishments they're proper old school and you yeah. see a lot of that in the, the made Marion and a merry men because it's like they they really lean on the idea of like british schooling because it's something that kids have got to relate to so it's actually yeah. really nice so and it's a reference that i think most americans would get now but mostly because of harry potter yes which also draws on British schooling traditions uh, yeah. in many ways. So, yes, the notion of prep, which uh, yes. I would I would add, we don't we you don't have in normal like schools. But, but. <laughs> oh, and the satire we had to get the satire klaxon. I don't know if we have a satire klaxon, a satire horn, a satire gong, anything. But but, but um, when uh, Danny John Jules turns to the camera and says, "Say what you like about British justice, you always get a fair trial." I'm like, way. <laughs> I also, that was another line that I was like, is that, I feel like that's maybe referencing something specific that I'm not, that I'm missing. It's around the sort of time that lots of trials and things were coming up. I can't remember whether it's around the same time as like Stephen Lawrence case, but it's, it's like around the sort of time that they, they, like they, I guess it's Thatcher 89, isn't it? So Thatcher brought in this thing that was basically these stop and search laws that, that, that mm-hmm. made it much, that basically made it much easier for the police to just stop black people because they were black. Mm. So, so yeah, the notion of um, and this whole thing about institutionalized racism and yeah. all that kind of thing, and it was the sort of time that B- B- Britain was kind of confronting that. So uh-huh. the so the idea of the the black guy turning to the camera and going, "Well, you say what you like about British justice," it's like, oh, you know, that is actually quite a quite a little stab. In <laughs> That's there. a cutting line. Yeah, it's great. It's lovely. Yeah. But um, also, King John's laugh is my favorite thing. He laughs <laughs> like a two year old running through a field. <laughs> He is Brilliant. great. He's very much also this like this like very kind of stereotypical evil king in a kids show caricature. Yeah, a very particular type. But they also make him a, bu- a 
a biker, which is a, like a really right. lovely. Like he's got he's got like leather studded gloves going on and like skulls on his crown. He has a skull and crossbones, uh, like a dangling earring in one ear, <laughs> which is beautiful. <laughs> Great. Um, yeah, no, he's fantastic. Marion and her two recruits thus far, who are the slightly unwilling recruit Robin and little Ron from the bridge, arrive to the castle, and I guess they're really there to rescue Edwina, right? I, I think they're there. I don't know. It, it, it's not entirely clear, but I think they are there to rescue, like, uh, Barrington and Raven okay, as so well. Okay, they're trying to because... rescue them too. They're not just trying to rescue the tadpole. I think so. I think it's okay. like Marion's justice revolution type notion. Because, yeah... <laughs> So I think that's definitely a big part of it. She's like, this is completely unfair. (laughs) All that sort of thing. Yeah. I also like that as they're trying to get in, uh, one of the guards asks, you're not not salesmen, are you? Jehovah's Witnesses? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is, you you get, you used to get, um, it was was a lot more popular in the 90s for for Jehovah's Witnesses to come door to door. Yeah, that, that was a thing in the US too. Even, I don't know, maybe still today, we certainly get various, odd Christians mm. going door to door. It definitely doesn't happen as mama much now, but, but my mum was friendly with the local uh, group of Jehovah's Witnesses and used to do mm. their hair, so that, yeah. that always helped. Does that make them come more or less? Less, because they okay. knew my mum would not tolerate my mum went yeah. to convent school, so she would just not tolerate any religious talk at all. Um, yeah. Well, one slightly misguided person did come to our door. My little sister, who was seven at the time, answered it. And they said, oh, you know, is your, your mum... And she went, um, you're those ones that don't believe in Christmas, aren't you? And they said yes, and she shut the door. <laughs> I was like, that's harsh, but beautiful. That's pretty great. <laughs> what, I, what I quite like about, like, the, the last sort of bit of um, May Marion and them going in to get things like this, you know, to get focus the rescue and stuff like that is that you definitely see the first sort of notion of um, Marion being like the kind of play school or reception year one teacher that you'd Mm -hmm. have in primary school who like loves the forests and always wears floaty skirts (laughs) and it's just really really nice but very firm and yeah she's definitely got this kind of like one in the u.s at least you call like a kind of hippie vibe in that regard yeah but yeah yeah, she 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 is like she is like she's she's teaching Uh (laughs) four-year-olds which is quite wonderful but she's so so nice about it which yeah is great. especially since the merry men often sort of come off as four-year-olds oh yeah so. definitely. <laughs> they come in they are able to rescue barrington and rabies and then tie up john and nottingham in their place the torture by the way is literally that their feet are being tickled with feathers yes feather dusters <laughs> which is lovely but, but i had the there is the thing like I, I read it in a horrible histories book once so it has to be true but but, but like Clearly. tickling tickling people, people's feet was like a genuine torture method like they'd just sprinkle salt on your feet and get goat to lick it and it would be like rough it and being, if it went a really long time i could see yeah. that genuinely being arguably torture yeah i think that's what they do they just pour salt water on your feet yeah. and like, like then the goat would have a lovely time licking that it's like those jokes about how or how could you come up with a universe that's both heaven for one group and then hell for another group yeah <laughs> it's hell for the people being tortured but heaven for the goats oh bless them <laughs> they rescue them robin also in his like one actual show of defiance uh, sets fire to john's underpants they go up like kindling everything they is do. very easy to destroy in this world oh yes <laughs> <laughs> Like, everything's just really, really brittle. This is what we're learning. (laughs) 
these people being basically knocked over with feathers and then, you know, the underpants go up in flames in seconds. Uh. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> but yeah, that's the, that's the one that really gets them. And uh... So that's really what kind of sparks their ire and one of the reasons that uh, Robin then becomes the kind of target of future manhunts. But then also his name comes from Marion realizing that they might be about to recognize him as Robin of Kensington the tailor and just quickly hissing Robin hood so he can quickly just like just pull up his hood and disguise himself yeah that's quite wonderful it's um it's quite a good idea how to get you know that sort of thing into it's it's quite a good little uh little joke of like how to get into work it's honestly the best origin of the name that I've ever seen as opposed, because I feel like it's actually it's actually like funny at least as opposed mm. to the newer Robin Hood movies that keep like very earnestly being like his name is Robin and also he wears a hood. Ooh. I haven't seen many of the more recent ones, so uh, I think the most recent uh, Robin Hood I watched was the one like years ago that had had oh, what was it? I think it had like Keith Allen as the the sheriff of Nottingham, and it was just it was it wasn't great. <laughs> yeah, but, but then um, I think my favorite bit after that is the uh, is when they're all taking the oath and she says I, you know, Ravies, do swear to wear the uniform and keep it clean <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh okay, now I know where this is going uh-uh. also the uh, yeah, the phrasing of the oath, uh, it was something like cross my heart and hope to die, stick a sausage in my eye yes. is, that a, is that also a kind of Britishism? because um, that seemed like an odd thing to me, but it's usually cross my heart hope to die, stick a finger in my eye okay um, which is uh, which I do remember very much being uh, promising an awful lot in proper primary school and then never keeping right. to. It might be why my eyes are so bad now. Oh. As like a first episode, it's amazing like how it packed in so much. Like I was yeah, to, like talking to the guy I was watching it with, which he was very helpful. So thank you, Nick, for for pausing it every time I went. Oh, I need to make a note, um, <laughs> and then waiting for ages while I very carefully write out these notes. Like. Um, <laughs> And uh, so, but, but I was saying, like, it, it packs in so much into that for the first episode. Yeah. You know. Oh, and, and we forget that um, Edwina meets her untimely end. Yes, rest in peace, Edwina. So at the end, they're just kind of sitting around the fire, and Marion's just kind of, like, chattily, like, telling, like, Rabies is like, oh, I have to sneeze. And Marion's like, go for it. You can sneeze wherever you want. We don't need We're a three people just, now. Yeah, just sneeze straight into the fire. And then he, and then she realizes just, like, one second in advance, and is like, wait, no, but it's too late. And he sneezes, poor Edwina, into the fire. Aww. Rest oh, in peace, Oh, poor Edwina. Edwina. It's, it's, it's so sad that she'd had to meet her end that way, but it's a lovely way to tie that up as well. And, right. Um, like it does work very well like the sitcom sort of elements of it like the, they always manage to tie up everything very neatly which yeah is quite... all of the episodes i saw were definitely very kind of self-contained yeah they de- so. they definitely tie up neatly um it's i guess you know because mostly in part of of that is because you know they'd only they'd be on maybe once a week or it's <laughs> so it's that sort of old school you know thing of the it's very difficult to like explain to like my 14 year old sister now going like no 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 we didn't binge watch we had to wait an entire right. week <laughs> yeah 
Right, that it's just TV shows were constructed differently because they had to keep that in mind in a different yeah, way. Yeah. The second episode is Robert the Incredible Chicken. Which is a beautiful title. It's a great title. Begins right where the last left off, so with John and Nottingham still in the dungeon and being tickled and then finally rescued by the guards. And we get a ghost town style we get like a specials ghost town style song from the danny john jules this time which is very nice i, I very much yeah i know that. that was a fun song <laughs> marion meanwhile in the woods is attempting to turn her ragtag band into successful freedom fighters how well's that going <laughs> yeah robin in particular is an extra lost cause which i love and this whole episode by the way is just this glorious send-up of the robin hood as the ultimate amazing archer who, you know, would win any archery competition, uh, yeah. you know, with his eyes closed, etc. Oh, I like the fact that little Ron never faces the right way. Yeah. Like, he always goes into it backwards. And they're just, yes, shall we fight, face the right way, little Ron? Um, you know, <laughs> that, that's, that's quite wonderful. But, like, that's very, that's very sort of four-year-old children yeah. type stuff as well, which I like. There's also a bit where uh, she, you know, is saying that their goal should be to learn how to, you know, split a twig in half, uh, uh, with, you know, by shooting it with an arrow. And Baring- I think it's Barrington who says like, oh, I can do that. And then he just gets up like real, real close to it and yeah. basically shoots the twig from like immediately next to it. And she was like, I could have been from over there. And he's like, oh, there's a wonderful b- bit where she's like talking about them becoming one with the forest and stuff. And uh, Ravis is trying to climb a rope that's attached to a tree but just keeps pulling bits of tree down yes and at some point there's a kind of especially good comic timing the line is something like like if you learn to love the forest it'll love you and be your friend and then just as she's saying that like some kind of like tree stump like falls and you know hits uh rabies in the head it's, it's a lovely piece of uh of, of just pure silliness it's it's what it's what um maid marion is really great for yeah that, like those little moments of just very very silly Oh, and she also talks about extremely sharp swords. <laughs> and I think she also at some point explains, like, we're supposed to be fanatical revolutionaries. They're supposed to be terrified of us. Yeah, I do like how, how utterly committed she is to pure anarchy. Um, yes. So it's, it's quite fun. It's, it's, not, it's not a wonder that so many of the sort of kids that grew, grew up watching that just became rampant socialists. <laughs> yeah, I, I can definitely see this being revived for a modern audience and having a lot of, like, Brexit commentary. <laughs> oh yeah oh you, yeah you'd hope uh, just bent bananas everywhere yeah uh, oh dear i don't i don't even want to think about it I'm, I'm having fun i'm having fun being in like the early 90s and not having yes. to and thatcher was gone it was all good <laughs> sorry about that we're in that glorious moment uh where you're in between thatcher and brexit we're in between reagan and bush yeah thatcher was thatcher was gone john major was boring that's all we really knew about him but then you get to then you get to cut to the forest where it's uh where there's um that uh the sheriff is tracking robin hood with gary and graham who are the most beautifully wholesome thing about this entire series they are delightful graham manages to ladder his tights which is (laughs) is lovely and then there's the they find the sheriff finds like a twig that's been broken on a branch and uh, he says what does this tell us and then gary goes that the sapling has hurt itself (laughs) (laughs) yes and then uh, you know and then nottingham's like no that's not what it means i mean someone's been here but then still as they kind of go past uh, he kind of stops at the sapling graham stops at the sapling and it's like don't worry i'm sure you'll be okay soon (laughs) (laughs) it's really cute gary is gary is just so sweet i love him 
was delightful. Robin is busy absolutely refusing to learn the longbow, but then essentially manages to string and fire the bow pretty much entirely by accident and shoots an arrow through Nottingham's hat. <laughs> yes, that's that's great. It, cause <laughs> the, the, it cuts to... Oh, what was what was the one that was? Uh, oh, what was that? It was a very loud squirrel. No, um, but yeah, he's he's like there going. I'm dying, and it's it's all wonderful because come come. I was I was a good master, wasn't I? And she goes, no, no, not really. <laughs> but I was I was fair. And he's like, no, we were only saying the other day just how completely unfair you are. Actually, <laughs> it's just like that. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, so that was a kind of that was pretty fantastic as a just kind of send up of these like you know dying moments. But oh of yeah, course yeah, he's not actually dying. <laughs> yeah, he's just got shot through his hat. Well, well, what becomes really interesting after this is the um is the way that he does the old school headmaster bit. So he gets up and goes, "Now some who some boy which foolish boy has done this? That <laughs> this hat was very important to me." It was given to me by a very important person, my Auntie Marjorie. And if <laughs> the boy who has done this had better come forward or I, I am keeping the whole forest behind. And it's like, oh, that's wonderful. That is every that is every assemb- like primary school assembly when someone has <laughs> done something wrong. Right. And then it, it, it gets even more beautiful because it just goes, now who was it? And Robin goes, it was me, sir. Can I have my arrow back? <laughs> just, just really lovely. <laughs> And really, this episode definitely goes hard on the Robin as being just incredibly dumb and incredibly incompetent. Oh, yeah. He's he's the most incompetent human, which is wonderful. But, yeah. But so, it's, it's the arrogance that goes with that that makes yes. it the perfect thing. It's, yeah. So he doesn't even know who Nottingham is. Uh, Nottingham uh, instructs his guards to instructs the guards to cut his head off. <gasps> that was it. Which... It was the bend over where he's going. Um, oh, I've completely forgotten that bit. That's like one of the best bits where he goes, "Come here, boy, bend <laughs> over," and <laughs> and like automatically, as someone British, you're thinking like the cane because uh-huh. that's you know usually what 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 that would have been. He just goes right. Cut his head off. <laughs> it's just like, oh, that's amazing. I also okay. love the little just absurdist bit, though. I can't remember which one, but one of the guards goes, what, but I don't have any scissors. No. How are you going to? Because where's your sword? Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, they have lots of those little bits of, of silliness. I do. Yeah. Uh, like at the beginning of the episode, Maid Marion goes, there's no such word as can't. And Rabies goes, yes, there is. It's <laughs> <laughs> like those little, little tiny one-off throwaways right. are what really make this show I think yeah Marion shows up and manages to save Robin by by you know saying this is the infamous Robin Hood and he definitely shot his arrow through you know specifically your hat rather than killing you on purpose to frighten you so then we could rob you definitely definitely did that <laughs> this then begins the running joke that none of them ever carry any money yeah uh, <laughs> well, don't have any money on me um <laughs> And uh, so the only thing that any of the three of them have that they can give him is... Sorry, which one of the guards? I can never... I actually can never remember which of the guards switch. I'm pretty sure it's Gary. Gary is the northern okay. one. Okay. So Graham is... Graham is southern, I think. And, and Gary's okay. the really... Is, is north... Northeastern, I think? Okay. Yeah, he, he's, he is forced to open his wallet and reveal that he's got... He's got a little a little silver sausage dog on, a, <laughs> on an elastic bit of string that bounces. <laughs> So he gives him that and then uh, says, oh, and I'll, can I give you the purse too? Because that's his house. Ooh. 
and it is just the sweetest, most wholesome thing that this guard just has this little dog toy that he carries around, and that the in that his money ba- like money purse is, is his is cool the dog's Herman. house, <laughs> and it's so sweet. And yeah. Robin then actually gives the dog back to him because he likes it so much. Yeah, and it kind of looks like, and it's clearly like he really feels for that, but it looks like from a distance, you can tell it looks like really uh, like nonchalant and yeah. things like that. And it's like, no, it de- genuinely isn't. He's just, he's genuinely worried that the silver sausage dog on a piece of elastic will pine. Yes, <laughs> it's own. so sweet. There is an article that I was looking at that uh, describes the guards and uh, Marion and her merry men as, uh, I think the phrasing was something like blissfully unaware that they're on opposite sides of a club class warfare. Yes, definitely. <laughs> I, I, but I do like that. I, I think that's... Yeah, I really, loved, I really love those moments, those really charming moments of the fact that the guards are comically incompetent, but they're not comically evil. They're doing their jobs as well. Like I like. Yeah, that. and they're That's... just ordinary people who don't have anything personal against Marion or Robin no. or any of these other. But I people. guess it's it's that sort of thing of like they're from the same community as well. So yeah, because t- when they're talking, when they're going through the forest, uh, Gary's going like, "This is terrible. I'm going to be late for my tea. My mum says she won't start without me." <laughs> So, like, they're local boys as well, which is really sweet. Yeah. Nottingham returns. Uh, he exaggerates the merry men's numbers from, I guess, four to 20 to 30 <laughs> when defending to John his complete failure to capture Robin. And John then responds by, you know, so he hears about Robin's apparent uh, mastery of archery and responds by suggesting that they should, as a trap, have an archery competition to lure Robin right to them, which is, of course, pretty standard Robin Hood fare. Oh, yeah, definitely. But also it's on St. Elvis day which is wonderful yes. <laughs> it will be on st elvis's day and you just go uh what that's tomorrow <laughs> great yeah yeah better, oh, that's tomorrow. better get writing i also love the emphasis on the fact that the posters all have to be handwritten yes <laughs> and that nottingham is actually in fact just sitting there handwriting all of the posters and then they're all over the table because they've got to dry yeah <laughs> which is wonderful as, as someone who did, does like calligraphy and stuff I feel that pepper pain and I want a table that big because like, yeah, you, you just have to start putting out everything and going, oh no, I have to cover this with a bit of this. I hope it doesn't smudge. <laughs> and it is a funny detail that feels actually weirdly kind of true to the Middle Ages and that it is something that would have had to be considered in terms of the labor of making posters and how that would have worked in yeah. a you know, pre-printing press society. And it's not something you see in a lot of other Robin Hood stuff, is it? Like, because normally yeah. you would, you do just see the posters going up, right? That you that you always see these posters of various kinds in Robin Hood movies, but you never see that background of yeah. surrounding them. So you I never really see like the that, scribe actually. going, "He's making me mar- write another bloody poster." <laughs> it's like seriously, what a wanted poster? What you want me to draw a picture as well? <laughs> You want me to draw this picture of this disembodied stupid hood, which is what they do in the uh, the 2018 Robin Hood movies. Oh, really? that there's all of these like wanted posters up with like they don't have they don't know what his face looks like, so it's just these wanted posters up with a drawing of a disembodied hood. Well, that's really handy, isn't it? It's excruciatingly <laughs> dumb. Wanted <laughs> this someone. <laughs> just whoever's wearing a hood. Yeah, just 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 get them all. We'll we'll figure yep. it out. The posters end with P.S. Robin Hood won't turn up. He's rubbish. 
it's the surefire way to get anyone to come to the thing you don't, you, that you want them to come to. Absolutely. And does, in fact, have its desired effect in that Robin is now completely insistent on going, despite the fact that Marion realizes immediately that it is obviously a trap. But, but, but Robin Hood's kind of all of the stuff's gone to his head. So he is like, well, you know, I did, of course they don't want me to turn up. I'm the finest archer in all the land. And it's like, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> And then he's also like, he's very excited about the prize, which I think is hysterical that he's, I've always wanted a silver arrow in an attractive mahogany setting. It's the attractive mahogany setting. <laughs> I love the, like the prizes. It's like proper game show prizes. It's always yes. um, the, uh, this in an attractive mahogany setting. And it's like, <laughs> and he's like, yes, it looked great on my mantelpiece. <laughs> and it's like, I love the fact that he says that despite the f- 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 fact that they're in a forest. <laughs> right. <laughs> do not have any mantelpiece. What mantelpiece? <laughs> Marion obviously doesn't want him to go. Obviously, he goes anyway. They show up at the tournament. The tournament is sponsored by Perkin Warbeck's Makers of High Class Torture Equipment, which I will discuss in a little bit later. That's beautiful as, as well. A like... Solid reference. And John and Nottingham eagerly await Robin Hood and expect to arrive brilliantly disguised. And it's while they're talking about how he's going to arrive in this brilliant disguise that no one could, he would be the last person anyone could possibly guess, that Robin arrives dressed in an actual chicken outfit. Woohoo! Which I assume is supposed to be a reference to the Robin as Stork costume from the 1973 Disney version, only that actually makes sense because everyone is an animal. Yeah, probably, but also I like the the idea that he's clearly gone for something entirely ludicrous. Yeah. Well, well, what's really cool is when they're introducing, like, there's little jokes in even more when they're going through the line of competitors. Mm-hmm. There's a dude from, like, Epping Forest, and then they come along and they go, and what's your name? Clough, sir, and where are you from? Nottingham Forest. And Clough was a, a manager of Nottingham Forest, a very famous manager of the football oh. team, Nottingham Forest. So oh. it's like, that's like a little <laughs> joke for the parents that goes in there, because this Aww. was totally the show that Peppa parents were trying and get home in uh-huh. time to watch so yeah so Clough from Nottingham Forest is is quite is quite mm. lovely and then um when they start it it's where it gets incredibly br- British weird and British again which is that they start it and it's like a it, it, it's it's like it's opening day at darts and so they've got everything they've got like the target's a giant darts board and they've got like the curtains around it and they've got the little camera that's focusing on the thing and then they go um and Eric is stepping up to the hockey and you know it's like oh it's an Eric Bristow reference and you've got like all these oh, really okay all this incredibly b- British stuff and like Tony Robinson does such a good, good, good job of like nailing how the commentator talks in darts tournaments as well. So I totally missed all of those very specific darts references, not <laughs> entirely surprisingly, but I guess the thing that then was even obvious to, you know, an American watching this who didn't have that reference point was that it was definitely this kind of very clear send up of certain kinds of sports commentary. Yeah. And that definitely still worked in a lot of ways, even without having the more specific reference. And in particular, there's a little, um, how do you describe it? A kind of window that's a kind yeah, of close the up camera. onto the, the kind of dart slash archery target. Yeah. And that's very much the kind of thing that you see in a number of sports that involves certain things where there are that kind of like close range things. Like, I yeah. like in golf, they do that. Yeah, they do that. They, that's like a really dance thing. And so like the really quiet commentary because usually the commentary is going on at the same time like in the same room and they're like next Mm -hmm. to them oh so that's why it's so quiet because they get they're going and there's a 20 (laughs) and then everyone's just politely clapping 40 Uh, you know it's like it's really good in that so like he totally nails it so like yeah you could go and watch like a darts tournament on like youtube now and you yeah you totally have exactly what it would be like in your head (laughs) 
Yeah. And then I, I like the fact that they actually accurately do it by darts numbers as well. Oh, okay. As you'll find out in a minute. Yeah. That, that comes up again, so. Robin shows up. He almost immediately manages to blow everything by saying that his name is Robin and yeah. then corrects himself and says, uh, Robert, Robert the Incredible Chicken. <laughs> oh, the, 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 the double take that King John does is quite beautiful yeah. because he goes, uh, who are you? Robin, and where are you from? Sherwood Forest. Right, good luck, Robin. Wait a minute! <laughs> it's like, oh, that's wonderful. Yes, I, I, I'm keeping that. <laughs> yeah, so that was great. Robin eventually gets the chance to shoot, and unsurprisingly, he is in fact terrible, including that he manages to really just shoot most of the arrows somehow basically ultimately in the wrong direction. Like, they keep, like, ricocheting off things. Oh, all hilariously in the wrong direction. Oh, yeah, all hilariously in the wrong direction. And each of his arrows, therefore, then manages to basically comedically, comedically take out one of our bad guys. Yeah. First, I think something knocks over the guards, and then something, like, knocks over Nottingham, and then it knocks John over. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's, it's, yeah. It's, and I like the fact that he gets a red card. Yeah. <laughs> like, just before he hits the Sheriff of Nottingham, they just go completely off-piste and just go, fuck dance. <laughs> red card. <laughs> John, in response, is, you know, about to basically send him to the dungeons. Because I think Robin goes, uh, you know, in this just kind of blissful ignorance of how poorly he's done, uh, just says, like, great, what have I won? But he, he frames it with, like, as, like, game show prizes as well. Like, yeah. Goes, You've won an all-expenses-paid trip to the dungeons. <laughs> You've won a luxury meal of a crust of bread and pond water. <laughs> yeah, it's lovely. <laughs> and a brand new perk in Warbeck Torque Treasure Machine. <laughs> the other one he says you stupid chicken i'll make you wish you'd never been laid <laughs> before robin is in fact thrown into the dungeon marion shows up she demands to be able to compete even though john in fact tells her to go back to her kitchen Ooh. and she is the one who's actually good at this and manages to hit everything very close to the target and get a score that i assume in darts is very good 180 which is like <laughs> the big one everyone says it like that that's yeah. like the, the actual thing. 180! It's, it's always <laughs> like those notes as well. And then of course, because she's done so well, Nottingham and John then assume that she is Robin Hood disguised as a lady. Well, of course it's the last person they'd expect. And she's exactly. like, of course I'm not Robin Hood. And they're like, that's exactly what you would say, Robin. <laughs> she uh, is able to escape ultimately by holding uh, John at arrow point, I guess is the phrase, but with the prize arrow, the fine silver arrow in its attractive mahogany setting. It would look so good on a mantelpiece. What am I saying? It's just, we all need to go and join archery contests now. <laughs> For mantelpiece decor. They head back to the forest and, and the I like the sheriff who calls up the like the Gary and Graham and just goes, uh, well, he's asked for it. <laughs> You're you going to give him exactly give it what to he him. deserves. Yeah, give, give it what he asked him. for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he's telling his guards this, uh, and uh, you know, obviously the assumption is that what he meant was go get him, go yeah, yeah. Know, kill him. Instead, uh, the uh, the guard goes and gives him the little silver sausage dog, Herman the dog. Herman with all of his accoutrements. I think they mentioned like a bag of like little fake dog food. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really cute. <laughs> and you've got to have this because otherwise he'll be lonely. <laughs> with like robin really promising to look after him and... yeah it's very sweet but i, I like that there's, there's someone who's on the same level as robin yeah that as well yeah. that's the that's the that's the really cute bit right that robin and the guards i feel like are on a very kind of similar mental plane. yeah they definitely are <laughs> but it's that kind of 
of wholesome thing as well, like, because even though, like, Royal Robin's really arrogant, he is kind of wholesome in his own little weird way in that he just wants to make clothes. Right. I mean, I kind of appreciate Robin because I will say he's an idiot and he definitely, to a little bit of an extent, especially in this episode, lets the fact that he is a target for a manhunt kind of go to his head. Yeah. But he's not really a jerk. He's not misogynist. No, he's always trying to do, like, the the nice thing. Yeah. I really like that. Yeah, like, he's kind of, like, a good guy. He's just an idiot. Yeah, it's like there are no real bad guys in that there's King John, but he's like this real comic bad guy. And then yeah. the Sheriff Nottingham, but he's this really comic, you know, like the bad yeah. guys are, are super bad and the good guys are even, even you know, anyone but the Sheriff and King yeah. John is like sort of, is, is not necessarily bad in that way. Everyone's just very wholesome and nice. Yeah, and even Nottingham, I feel like, is getting to the point where he seems increasingly kind of long-suffering in yeah. uh, a kind of similar way to Sir Hiss in uh, The Night in the Disney Robin Hood that by the end you kind of feel a little bit sorry for him and then we get to my favorite episode we get to everyone's favorite episode yes I am excited and first I actually do just want to very quickly note that it was at the end of the second episode that I first noticed that the credits divide into ye goodies ye baddies ye peasants and ye crew Yes, that's uh, <laughs> quite wonderful. Yes, it's a very kind of charming little, uh, you know, your standard sort of faux medievalism. So, and yes, the next is your favourite episode. It's it's the one, but basically to sort of explain it, when Sarah came to me and said, would you like to guest on um, Media Evil? What would you like to do? And ordinarily, I'd have been like, oh, I'll do I'll do anything. You know, that, that that's fine. I'll watch anything. I love just being silly about stuff I've watched not this time <laughs> I was like right we are doing Mama Maid Marin and a Merry Men and we are watching pan- the, the Pancake Day episode because it is the one thing that gets shared every this one two minutes of children's show gets shared every year I definitely have the Pancakes Day song stuck in my head oh yeah everyone does but yeah that, that, it's it's like the, the thing that Maid Marin and her Merry Men is like Mama most remembered for so uh-huh. I was really pleased when I found out it was the third episode as well and I didn't have to like make Hugo go off and find it like separate to the other ones we've watched right because i was like you, you're watching it whether you like it or not um, <laughs> just that bit so is pancake day a thing yeah yeah pancake <laughs> day is shrove tuesday so it's the day before Lent, oh. for, for ash wednesday before lent begins oh so i guess because you're not supposed to have pancakes during lent well because traditionally people would give up things like eggs and yeah butter and sugar, sugar. and things like that so what they'd often make people would often make pancakes and i well, when i say pancakes i don't mean the crazy american things that come in stacks of 500 with whatever kind of weird fry up you've decided has been a thing of you're the not, day you're not talking about the ihop stacks with whipped cream oh oh whipped cream why would you <laughs> yep clotted or go home <laughs> whipped cream and maple syrup i am i'm nailing my cornish credentials to, to the wall and saying <laughs> that clotted cream is the only real cream and and it goes on second on the cream tea okay but, but that that would get into a whole other british argument but, but <laughs> british pancakes are like somewhere between like pancakes and crepes mm-hmm. so they're a lot wider and a lot flatter mm-hmm. and a lot thinner that does make eating 12 sound slightly less disgusting yeah and they're, but they're <laughs> not in a um but they're not made on like a big crepe yeah. pan thing they're made in a frying pan yeah but, but you usually have them with like lemon and sugar or jam but, but yeah they're not like american pancakes which i american pancakes like you get them in some shops in some cafes here and you sort of sit down and they bring out this stack of like four pancakes and it's just like i have eaten one and that's enough now 
They are very <laughs> thick American style pancakes. I do not understand. And then you're like, uh, and and here's your bacon and maple syrup <laughs> and and some reason more pancakes on the side. Uh, like... And if you go to uh, IHOP, the International House of Pancakes. Oh my god. <laughs> it has a slightly horrific assortment of possible options that you can have your pancakes with including like pancakes that are basically like and here's a chocolate cake on top of it jesus what <laughs> why would you do that that that's not food at that stage that's it's just kind of they're kind of horrifying i yeah. have not been to ihop in a long time but used to go in high school every now and then also how international is the international house of pancakes really oh not international at no, all exactly. it is it's the <laughs> most american thing ever <laughs> It's a combination of it has pancakes, and then it has very stereotypical American diner kind of food. Yeah. I did once go with some friends of mine in college, or not in college, in high school, and I went to a Jewish school, and so one of the people I was at this um, IHOP with was the son of a rabbi who ordered a Philly cheesesteak, which is very much not kosher. Okay. Because we can't have meat and cheese together. And then immediately just commented, I guess this is why you don't call it the International House of Philly Cheesesteaks. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. I was going to say, you get on terribly in France. Mum and my sister went to France and apparently just had this bubble one meal that was essentially just, just beef and cheese. <laughs> and it was like, ooh, that sounds delicious. I've, yeah, I've never been super strictly kosher, but the first time I went to Spain for work, I was a vegetarian. Uh, and Spain is rough because Spain has an immense amount of just surprise ham. Yeah, they consider ham a vegetable there. Oh, yeah. No, like I would tell people in Spanish or Catalan that I was a vegetarian and that I'd like say, okay, I'm a vegetarian. So that means I don't eat meat. I don't eat fish. And they would say, oh, okay. And then they'd look at me and they'd go, wait, no ham? Yeah. And then I'd say, no, no ham. And and so then they'd say, okay, so no ham. And then they'd bring me something. It'd be like, this just has a little ham. <laughs> My ex was lived in Madrid for three years. And when he went, he was vegetarian. He, when he started there, he was vegetarian. And a very similar thing when they just go, this doesn't have any meat in it. It just has ham. <laughs> and you're like, oh, for yep. God's sake. <laughs> but yeah, basically, Pancake Day is essentially like the only day of the year where we really eat pancakes. Like pancakes are a really special breakfast. Uh-huh. So you wouldn't have it just like as an ordinary. No. Yeah, the the, the pr- proliferation of pancakes in America is something quite s- surprising to me. Yeah. But, but um probably not good for our health. <laughs> but um <laughs> and, come on, we've got the fry up. We can't talk. So yeah, pancake day is like really special because it's just when the whole the whole country goes nuts and just has pancakes <laughs> and and shares this song which is like the f- first bit of it. It's just a little a little song about how it's pancake day and i also love how nottingham in fact uh, when he's talking to john about how it's pancake day actually turns to the camera and sings a little bit of the song <laughs> yeah yeah because it's it's the, the the um they repeat it this is a pr- problem if i do it it just sounds like i'm talking it's, it's pancake day it's pancake day it's pancake day and then yeah so but they actually repeat it so when he's telling the sheriff of nottingham it like they they genuinely like he does it really conversationally but they cut that in and it's like oh that's that's beautiful but the peasants are all having their pancakes made out of mud because they, yeah. they don't have any money so you know call back to the first episode where yeah. uh, barrington's talking about how all they have to eat is mud yep again, <laughs> again britain in the last week i can see that happening yeah <laughs> after brexit all we'll have is mud uh nottingham is trying to get one of the peasants to give them a frying pan and takes one eventually from a peasant to uh, he believes it's called stinker yeah but because i was gonna say because uh king because king john's like well we better have pancakes then <laughs> just, yeah like, just everyone's reaction to pancake day it's just like 
better have pancakes. Because he says, oh, how do you like your pancakes? Uh, do you like it with, you know, jam or sugar? Or do you like it like me? Do you like it with Angel Delight and a bit of uh, chocolate spread and whipped cream? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> Angel Delight reference. What is Angel Delight? Angel Delight. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so it's so late eighties, early nineties British. It's it makes this me is so such happy. an exciting introduction to British culture that I'm getting. I I have like been to England, but oh, oh but um, but you didn't try Angel Delight. No, Angel Delight <laughs> is what we considered the height of dessert when we were four. But but, but what is actually a powdered dessert type thing that you mix with water and it goes all custardy. And so it's basically like powdered flavoured custard. Okay. And it retains quite a bit of its powderiness, no matter how much you mix it. <laughs> and it's always violently flavoured and coloured. So like you can get you could get it in chocolate, strawberry and butterscotch. And hmm. I didn't, can't remember whether you could get it in other flavours, but the strawberry one was always neon pink. So it's called it's called Angel? Angel Delight, yeah. Angel and Delight, the okay. Butterscotch one always looked like baby's first poo. Like <laughs> <laughs> But tasted amazing. So like, but, but that was the thing, like if you, there was like a party or something or it was like a special day, you know, or, or if your mum just couldn't be asked to cook like a real thing, then you could, oh, maybe for dessert, you could have a b- b- bowl of angel delight and oh, everything would be good. I don't even know if they do it anymore. I, I, like, I might actually have to go, go shopping tomorrow. There will just be just, just me in Tesco after work going like, please tell me you've got angel delight. Where is it? I will hate it, but, but, but I will still eat it for pure nostalgia. The name also definitely makes me think. I'm pretty sure angel dust is like a name for cocaine or something. And that's definitely oh, right. making me think of. <laughs> oh, damn. It's when they're uh, trying to get this frying pan for the king for pancake day that they then realize that apparently the peasants have no idea who King John is. I like the sheriff has to explain who he is and goes, you know, the one who doesn't speak till Christmas Day and cuts people's heads off. Yep. <laughs> which is wonderful because that's a reference to the Queen's speech and the King's speech, which is like Christmas Day. They always right. do like a speech on TV. I'm like, yeah. I know some people, it's at 3pm and I used to have a boyfriend who wasn't allowed to open his presents on Christmas Day until the Queen's speech had been on. Oh, like, wow. What? That is like the height of awful. <laughs> that's that's sad. I also love how there is one particular villager who is under the belief that the king is still William the Conqueror, who died in the, in 1087. Yeah. And that in response, Nottingham says, "No, William the Conqueror is a nasty king who's dead as a doormat. This is a nice king." <laughs> yes, I do. I do like that. Well, yeah, I guess it's um. Well, William the Conqueror is the famous one. That that there's only one, right? Oh, and then they go on about like the. So so and so king, and then someone says Jonathan King, and oh, that reference has aged badly. Jonathan King was a singer who turned out to be a massive paedophile. Um, no. So it's like some of this stuff has aged so poorly, but none right. quite as poorly as that one <laughs> reference. Of me going, oh, oh dear. <laughs> and I also like that he said that at some point he then says, "No king is my first name." Yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's beautiful. <laughs> Yeah, but yes, they've decided that then, then King John decides there's, that there's to be no pancakes for the sheriff until until the king is famous. Yes. Which is a terrible bargain to make on Pancake Day. It That's so horrible. It really is. Poor, poor Nottingham is not benefiting from Pancake Day. Has... Definitely not. Back in Sherwood Forest, Marion gets talked into making pancakes by the Merry Men. They're practicing ambushes as well, which yes. is quite lovely. <laughs> yes. So they're, they're doing very poorly at that, as you can imagine. And, yes, uh... and I think it's actually kind of how they get, like start to like try to get out of uh, ambushes is by kind of almost kind of like negging Marion into like, oh, <laughs> yeah. like, you don't know how to make pancakes. Like, I mean, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I of like course I know how to make them. 
She would have gone. I would have got my pancake proficiency badge if my brownie pack hadn't been closed down for armed robbery, which is yeah. beautiful. It's fantastic. I, I was trying to think, like, I was looking for all like the British references, and when I saw brownies, I actually I've got written here like Girl Scouts, but no biscuit flogging. Um, <laughs> so in America, we have brownies, but it's part of Girl Scouts. Yeah, it's like the younger. Yeah, it's True. similar in Britain. Okay. We've got the girl guides, and then okay. you've got the and then you've got the brownies, and below that the rainbows, and then you've got scouts, cubs, and beavers. Hmm. Brownies was always there was always the best. I don't think you have to to um, pledge to serve your queen and country and God anymore, which is quite nice. That's good. I don't think we had to do that in my. I mean, certainly not the queen part. But no, uh, but yeah, you, I think we did do like the pledge of allegiance generally at Girl Scout meetings. That's weird. That's where I'm sort of like, whoa! I only had to take the brownie pledge once. So. <laughs> You guys have to do the Pledge of Allegiance every day, and that's terrifying. It's like um, it's a lot. Like yeah. I, I went to a, I went to private schools, none of which like had the Pledge of Allegiance every single day thing, but we did have it at every assembly. You didn't have assemblies every day. Oh no, you'd oh. have assemblies for like special occasions ish. You lucky thing. It's mm. every day in proper primary school at which you had to sing hymns. Oh, uh, but I do like that the brownie pack had been closed down for armed robbery. I really want to remember yes. that brown owl. Yeah, I'm just like she sounds awesome. <laughs> She's um, clearly somebody who had uh, perhaps some uh, influence on Marion. Well, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, I want to meet the rest of that brownie pack. But, but, I know, right? What do they end up doing? She's said like no pancakes for the guys until they they've robbed someone, which yes. is a great bargain and it's the fact that they've already they're like we're really hungry and then she's like you've already eaten 16 pancakes each (laughs) (laughs) we didn't have any breakfast yeah you did like they've gone from like four-year-olds to teenage boys immediately right (laughs) they go out and uh, are supposed to be robbing somebody and nottingham is trying to solve john's fame problem so she suggests that John become better known by inventing something which he can then name it after himself. I really like his, uh, you know, why have we, why do we remember Noah? He invented the Ark. Yeah. And then kind of lists various inventions. My personal favorite was, and you know, Catherine invented the wheel, which yeah. I, as just, you know, a medieval historian who never has fun, immediately listened to. And I'm like, oh, that's a good saint joke because Catherine, Saint Catherine is always depicted with her wheel that she got martyred on. Yeah. And, um, and I, as a, uh, as a um, little b- b- British kid in a hat on bonfire night, when ooh Catherine wheels, <laughs> which are the spinny firework, <laughs> that were always very exciting and my favourites because they didn't really bang. Um, just just me going oh we can go up to Frogpool they have Catherine wheels there. <laughs> yeah, it was when you were like oh yeah but she she did actually is actually a saint's thing she did die she was murdered on a wheel and i was like yep. oh shit i'm meant to be a medievalist what am i doing well, um, i think she i think she was she started to be martyred on the wheel and then she made the wheel or like jesus made the wheel break yeah, as you do in the middle and then i think they killed her a different way yeah. but uh yes yeah, so then in all the medieval paintings she's the saint who has a big wheel that she's standing next to and that's presumably why the fireworks are called catherine's wheels i imagine it is not nearly as sparkly as a proper catherine wheel usually not although there's usually a lovely gold background oh that's all right then yeah. <laughs> oh and then the sheriff shows off his sheriff's badge I'm not an inventor, I'm a sheriff. Look, I've got a badge. This is very, very cute. I also like that one of his suggestions is inventing a parachute and that that suggestion is ultimately decided against because, well, then you'd you'd need a flying machine to jump out of and those haven't been invented yet. (laughs) Oh, he also tries to invent the automatic foot, which is a lovely, lovely idea. 
and finally comes up with the idea of a game, a game called John, which is the title of this episode, which involves basically shooting balls across a table. I heard this, and I'm an American, so I just say, okay, I guess they're like, he's inventing pool. That's exciting that he's inventing pool. That's a game that I've heard of. It's when they st- he starts talking about like they'll they'll have John competitions and international John competitions and they'll uh, yeah and then you start going oh okay, and then you start putting everything together as as um as a Brit. But there are international pool competitions, I think. Oh yeah, I'm sure there are. But, but pool is definitely much more more a um is a, is much more the a pub game. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely more a pub game than it is. Yeah, um, and when they t- he talks about different coloured balls, whereas as opposed to pool where it's like stops spots and stripes or something i don't know i never in the u.s there's solids and that's it yeah they are different colors but yeah i never i never played we had so many pool tables in but but, but i'm just so poorly coordinated that i can never play it so i just commentated instead (laughs) (laughs) i have played pool but i'm not good at it at all it's a problem when you're up against friends who are really really good at it but in the world of of britain and and knowing how massive snooker is uh they are of course talking about snooker and he's about to invent but i i love the idea that he talks about there'll there'll be john halls all over the country Oh, and he sends Gary and Graham out to get the supplies for it. Yes. Back in Sherwood Forest, Robin has come up with uniforms for the Merry Men, which are not amazing. Oh, they, they were told to, like, disguise themselves, like, dis- disguise yeah. up. So they've just stuck. To, like, cam- to, like, camouflage, kind of. Yeah, they've just stuck bits of plant to themselves. Right, they have, like, these, like, fern hats on. <laughs> I love that. They're like so silly looking. Oh, it's wonderful. And according to guards, describes them as green, as looking like green gorillas. Yeah. Oh, they go. Oh, it must be Morris men. <laughs> just yeah. Like, yes. <laughs> and he goes, I hate Morris men. And it's like everyone hates Morris men. And then Nottingham, I think, uh, goes like, well, I think goes like, goes, goes something like, they can't be Morris men. I'm a Morris man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have to be a very special type of person to be a Morris man, and everyone's going, yes, yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> So there is a particular reputation that Morris oh, men yeah, have. Really okay. Morris men go to places, do a bit of dancing, get drunk, <laughs> annoy everyone in a pub, do lots okay. of bells. The, it has a lot of accordions in it, and that's <laughs> not a good place to start with any kind of anything, actually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's like more than one accordion in a place at any one time, and everyone's like, nope, nope, we're out. Not a good sign. <laughs> Barrington describes them as like clowns without the funny bits, which yes. I, I, I like a lot. Yeah. I also like that once again, the guards do not have any money at all. Although one of them offers him a little square of chalk with a dent in it. Yep. The, the main piece of kit in a snooker game. Oh, that did not occur to me. It stops the balls from like yep. catching and that, but it's... Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think I've actually seen the pool equivalent. But yeah, that just did not occur to me at all as being linked to the whole the whole pool snooker but thing. In like snooker, like in the in like the big tournaments and stuff, there's like a little guy who goes around with the and he's got white gloves on and he like checks the balls like the I don't know like an umpire or something and he's got like white gloves so he can check all the balls and he <laughs> he like presents this little square of chalk. Right. <laughs> but yes, the little square little square of chalk with a dent in it. Which is, which is very lip. I like the fact that they've like already got a dent in it, just yep. pre-made. <laughs> just already. Nottingham, meanwhile, is less ready because the balls just keep immediately falling on the floor. Mm. At which point the game seems to not be going well, and then someone comes up with the idea that if they get some cloth to put on the table, then the balls won't all fall off. 
Yeah, which is, you know, fair play. I like I like how John reacts to this, which is just, ooh, would you like a game of John? Yes. How does it work? Oh, I just tip up a sack of balls all over the floor. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, that's a beautiful piece of acting. That's, that's sarcasm taken to the hill. Yeah. That's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> Nottingham goes to get the cloth. Oh, I like that every, everything is in Lincoln as well. Like the ball makers in Lincoln, the oh, clothiers yeah. in Lincoln. I like that yeah. they're in Nottingham, but they still have to go to Lincoln to get all of the... <laughs> to get anything <laughs> like, i don't know why that is but i find that really really silly like <laughs> they are in a town but they have to go to like a better town yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh god don't tell nottingham that <laughs> sorry to my nottingham based listeners but... <laughs> that actually does seem kind of true to the middle ages that there would be some number of things that like a town nearby would potentially specialize in and you wouldn't be able to get into your town but you'd be able to get if you kind of go over to the next town <laughs> Just all the stuff for snooker. Right. On his way back, Nottingham runs into Robin and the Merry Men, and Nottingham recognizes Robin and is terrified. Robin has no idea who he is. Absolutely none. Well, sort of, sort of knows him, but is like, oh, like don't look familiar. About. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I like the fact that they're all in tartan now. Like they're in like the most ludicrously violently colored tartan. They're all yes. in like neon tartan, which is wonderful. Yeah. And invites him to come for breakfast for pancakes because he hasn't had any breakfast yet. <laughs> but they decide to blindfold him so as not to ruin the surprise of breakfast. The pancakes. We also find out that G- Gary and Graham have a GCSE in killing, maiming and chewing people's heads off, which is uh, yes. very pleasing indeed. <laughs> it is. They arrive. Marion is initially less than impressed by the fact that they have just brought Nottingham <laughs> to their hideout. Yeah, Robin goes, I've brought a friend back. <laughs> so then she goes, that's a sheriff of Nottingham. I know. Our deadly enemy. No, he wants to be friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he definitely wants to be friends and isn't just terrified of you by reputation alone. Right. <laughs> oh, so uh, Marion is relieved to hear that he has been blindfolded at least and does not therefore now know where they live. And then also manages to parlay this into the Merry Men's first truly successful attempt as a robbery. This is where it actually links to like real Robin Hood stuff as well. Because uh, yeah. the notion of inviting someone to dinner and then getting them to pay for it, like that's straight out of like the, one of the first Robin Hood stories. So yeah. like it was for me as, like, as a medievalist, it was one of those moments moments where you get to go, yay! <laughs> so that was nice. Yeah. Yeah, and they do it like a cafe, and it's just yeah. just very, very silly. And here's your bill, sir. Then she uh, she brings him the... She, you know, asks Robin, like, you didn't say that, this, uh, that the meal was free. And he's like, well, not in so many words. And so then she brings him the exorbitant bill of £142.88. Yes. Which is a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, even in 1989 money, that's a lot. Even in that right. money, that's a lot for a pancake. Right. Those pancakes have better been good. I'd be a little horrified to get any restaurant bill with that because yeah, it costs yeah. quite that much for one person, to be honest. <laughs> just, they just had the best lemon barley water. Right. <laughs> Initially, he refuses to pay. Marion threatens to bring out the manager, who is Robin, and he quickly changes his mind. Once again, he is not carrying any money, but he does have the lovely bolt of green cloth that he bought for the snooker table. This was where I went full and this isn't even like a medieval thing but this is where i got like full inaccurate mad (laughs) because i used to work in a fabric warehouse and uh Mm -hmm. i've handled bays which is the material you cover a sneaker table with and it is so heavy you would not be able to carry it like that i have broken myself i i'm genuinely a broken woman because of bays like we used to have it in these 
in these tiny bolts and then you'd go and try and pick them up and it would take like three of you. It also does not seem like something that you would want to then wear as clothing. Yeah, yeah. It was just <laughs> me going, it was when I just, I, I think my notes genuinely say, fuck off his bays that light. <laughs> <laughs> but, but then I don't mind so much because then it t- turns into a montage and I love a montage. Uh, Robin is thrilled as the green is a very nice color that coordinates with the trees. Yes, and is therefore perfect for their uniforms. Obviously. Yeah, and then they have a little montage where the sheriff and Gary and Graham help them to make costumes. Yeah, and they're like try- yeah, they're like measuring themselves. I also like that they're measuring themselves in a way that looks like the the way that you like outline a corpse in shock. Yes. <laughs> that they just like lie down on the cloth and then like draw their outline. Yeah, that, that's wonderful. And then somehow they end up with quite presentable clothes from them. Oh, yeah. But they do look really good, so, you know. Yeah. Poor Nottingham for his failure to obtain cloth and therefore get the game together to make John known to his people. Offers himself up to be stuffed with beans, sprouts, fried, and sold in a Chinese takeaway. Oh, that's that's not a reference that's aged very well either. (laughs) Yeah, no, that one has not aged great. So he then does uh, start to eat bean sprouts, but then has, in fact, the actually quite brilliant plan that he brings out that, you know, the peasant stinker comes out along with his family. And uh, they, you know, are like, is that, is that John? Is that King John? And are very yeah, excited yeah. to meet King John. It, of course, turns out that Nottingham paid them off, basically, to get John to not be so worried about, you know, whether people knew who he was. Definitely always flatter a king into yep. thinking people know who he is. That's the best there way of doing it. And then, sugge- and then gives the rights to the game to the peasant and then says, ha ha, who would ever play a game called Stinker? And then one of the guards says, actually, his name's not Stinker, it's Snooker. Yeah, that's like, and then, and then he goes, "Who would ever call a game that?" And there was yeah. just a little bit of a like winking at the camera in that line. Yeah. But at that point, I looked up the word snooker, and yeah. I was like, "Oh, <laughs> that's what it was referencing the whole time." Whereas, like every British person's just been like, "We've been waiting for this." Because um, <laughs> it's been very clear for about because it, it, all through it's going, "But my name's not Stinker," and we're all and everyone's going. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that was that was the kind of big reference that I did not get until at the end it became obvious that there was a reference that I was missing and needed to look up. <laughs> Which is lovely because it's the whole the whole the whole third episode is just stuff that you didn't get. Yeah. <laughs> it starts with pancake day and ends with snooker and you did not understand either of those things. And I no. felt so bad. <laughs> suddenly getting a suddenly getting a message that just says, Is pancake day a real thing? <laughs> oh my sweet summer child. <laughs> so i've definitely had like a real like crash course in british culture i've had a um i've had a f- full week of going oh crap i have to explain P- pancake day to an american jewish lady <laughs> <laughs> i i think we should adopt pancake day to be honest it Damn sounds great right. pancake day's great yeah also it's something to do in february so, yeah right or whenever it ends up Tuesday ends up being I can't remember whether it's it's usually some it's because it's all to do with Easter and that's all the different days and uh, yeah bloody Catholicism February is like pretty dour not not a lot of holidays although it is uh, February is also when you have the Jewish holiday that you're supposed to get drunk on so oh good good usually in uh, in February or March in which case why aren't why aren't in which case we'll do a swap uh, <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, we're we're gonna adopt. We American Jews are gonna adopt Pancake Day, and uh, in England you should adopt uh, Purim, which is the holiday. It's like Jewish Halloween. Oh wow, sounds great. Yeah, so you're supposed to dress up, and you are also supposed to get so drunk. And this is like in the Talmud. 
you are supposed to get so drunk that you don't know the difference between the good guy and the bad guy in the story related to the holiday. That's wonderful. Oh, yeah. that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Marianne. With that, uh, it's probably time to move on to our next segment, Vera at Falso, where we talk about what it got right and what it got wrong. I am weirdly impressed with how much stuff I felt like this actually kind of hit the right notes for the medieval world. Yeah, for something that is just riddled with weird anachronisms, yeah. it, 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 it managed to get, I think in the same way as like A Knight's Tale manages to yeah. do, it manages to get like the feel and the, like, yeah, yeah, it manages to hit those right buttons, which is, is really lovely. Yeah, and I tend to be a big fan of things with deliberate anachronisms, in part because when I'm not watching it specifically for a podcast where I talk about what's wrong about the Middle Ages, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a kind of nice way for me to then allow myself to say, okay, there are certain things that I don't have to worry about, whether they're right or not, because it doesn't matter, because this is presenting itself deliberately as being anachronistic. Yeah. So I have a great appreciation for those. And then I think also, I think in some ways it's easier in the things with deliberate anachronisms yes, to then definitely. get at these, like to get at things that are right about medieval culture, even if they're not then kind of literally right, but that it presents yeah. a vision of the Middle Ages as kind of playful and humorous. Yeah, for yeah, example, definitely. Um, in a way that makes sense for a modern audience and isn't so dour and gray. <laughs> And and with kids shows, you've definitely got, yeah. got to do that. I mean, it's and yeah. and and again, this this is this is a, a show that that was a, like a kids show, but so many adults loved it. A couple of things that I wanted to highlight in terms of things it does well <laughs> is that I think the overall concept in which Robin becomes known as the leader rather than Marion, due mostly to misogyny, seems vaguely plausible. To be honest, is something that could potentially have happened. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> And the other thing that I thought was interesting is that Marion, as opposed to necessarily being like angry about the fact that she's not the one who has that notoriety and public identity as a leader, actually kind of takes advantage of it in really clever ways. Yeah, she she really uses it. I mean, she gets a bit yeah. frustrated by it. but Yeah, but it seems like a lot of the time she's like, okay, this is something, the fact that I'm not known as the leader in the same way is something that I can actually use to my advantage. Definitely. And I really like that. And it actually very much seems akin to a lot of things that we know about real medieval women, essentially using certain gender-based stereotypes to their advantage in order to accomplish whatever it is that they want to accomplish. Oh, for sure. And it, it's especially true of... um like in in, in Maid Marian it's it's really it's really interesting how she goes about convincing Robin like Robin is, gets convinced by it as well yeah. that he's he's this really great yeah like that he's the great the great Robin Hood well whereas Marian's there like but also she's a fanatical revolutionary so yeah it totally <laughs> makes sense that she would use that to her advantage and yeah and definitely totally recalled for me uh there's I mean there's so much scholarship about women in medieval court cases who are very much uh, like kind of do this like poor me, I am a woman and completely incapable of taking care of myself, but, but my husband, uh, you know, has mismanaged my money, even though he's the one who's supposed to be in charge of things. So I guess you've got to give me my money now, though. Yeah, <laughs> that's lovely. Yeah, and it definitely kind of recalled that for me in a way that I thought was actually really cool. I really like that. I also kind of was feeling the running gag of nobody ever having cash. 
Yes. Because, I mean, medieval Europe is actually a fairly cash-poor society. I mean, for yeah, a lot yeah. of people, their wealth came in the form of various kinds of, you know, valuable or, you know, less valuable if you didn't have as much money, but various kinds of movable goods in the form of real estate. Little little squares of chalk with a little in it. Chalk, <laughs> little silver dogs, uh, like yeah, certainly yeah. actually textiles. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> like that one's actually pretty spot on. Yeah. Oh, it makes it. Yeah, I like that, and it's it's also just a great it's just a great thing of like just everyone gets caught without cash on them as well. Like it's the, yeah, <laughs> it's just such a wonderful. Oh, I'm so sorry, we have nothing on us. And right. I do like but yeah, that. but it definitely like really hit like it definitely like really worked for me, especially because like I've been spending a lot of time talking about like material culture and like coinage in terms of some of the work that I'm doing now and. Uh, to actually make any kind of substantial purchase, the amount of cash you would have to be carrying to make that purchase in cash, it would just be like way too heavy. Yeah. <laughs> just like dragon pockets. Yeah, and so I feel like there's just like such a tendency in a lot of Robin Hood movies uh, and well, in Robin Hood media to kind of really emphasize him dragging away all these vast stores of coinage and a even like a pretty hefty bag of uh, physical coins is maybe not actually worth all of that all that much money depending on what the coins are actually made of. <laughs> Sorry, now I'm just I've just got the image in my head of like a Robin Hood film where they actually make it like cash accurate and they're, they're yeah. just like, um, um, well, give us give us all your gold and then it's just someone just, because, you know, they usually like chuck a little purse at them and, you know, it's like right, all that kind yeah. of thing. And they actually they just throw a whole trunk. <laughs> right, just like throw a whole trunk and then you like run into somebody else who's like, you know, I don't really have any cash, but I have like this document that shows that that dude owes me like, uh, like owes me 20 pounds. <laughs> yeah, and this cow. <laughs> right, here's a cow. I definitely think we need to go back to more livestock bartering. I'd be I'd be very happy to receive cows oh, right, in exchange yeah. for things. <laughs> I will take one of those. <laughs> I, I feel like I have enough animals. It already feels like with one dog and one cat, I have like quite the like menagerie in my uh, in my apartment. Well, we used to have cows. My grandpa used to have cows. So uh, so clearly, I'm just suffering with a really bad <laughs> cow withdrawal. <laughs> but I will take like it's like you know like I'll take like take like a winter coat. Yeah, yeah, that will work. <laughs> yeah, so I really appreciated that. And then also something, uh, especially I would say for American audiences, if uh, any Americans decide to check this out, St. Elvis, especially to an American audience, an American maybe not as quite like religiously adept audience, sounds very silly because for any American, your immediate thought would be Elvis the singer. To be fair, it's my thought. it was my thought too. So Okay, yeah, so that uh... would definitely be like true in England too. But yeah. here, I'm pretty sure the vast majority of Americans have not in fact heard of St. Elvis and probably do not know that there is actually actually a St. Elvis. I had no idea there was a St. Elvis. <laughs> I mean, I, I looked it up, to be fair. I was like, oh, this is wonderful. So there actually is St. Elvis. Uh, Elvis is the anglicization of a 6th century Irish saint, uh, the Bishop St. Elva, which oddly enough, I was talking to my uh, former co-host Ollie about this, and he told me that Elva is actually now a very popular Irish girl's name. Oh. <laughs> so they're all just going around weird. calling their girls Elvis. That's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Right, exactly. There's like all these like little like Irish girls running around with the name Elvis, basically. <laughs> That's great. And his feast day is September 12th, which seems like a lovely time of year for an archery competition. Yeah, actually, yeah, especially down here, where it's usually very, very nice weather. 
Yeah. Is there anything else that you wanted to especially highlight that you felt that they uh, really got right? I mean, like I say, in terms of like the literature of it mm-hmm. and how that the thing about like the getting in something from the guest and yeah. like they got in quite a few good references in that sense. And I like I like how they've done it. That it's, so it's clearly really under budget. Like, yeah. it, like they've clearly done it on a very low budget, but I do like how they've done it. So everything is very small and things like that because actually you yeah. know that's a lot more more of what the medieval world was like and like like more more like big budget robin hood stuff mm-hmm. you know happens with like you know like big crowds of people and things like that yeah. and actually there weren't that kind of there wasn't that re- really that kind of big crowd of yeah. people in that sense you know yeah there's lots of people going around doing their things that needed to be done and the fact that like everyone knows each other like that there, there's like because it's like the village of workshop and you've got you know mm-hmm. you've got Gladys the crazy yeah. old lady and you've got like <laughs> and, and they all know each other and yeah like I, I find that really in terms of like it's it's funny mm-hmm. but it also is really quite true to the middle ages and that everyone's communities were quite tight and you know yeah. in that sense there was a lot more travel and stuff than people thought there was and you know I'm not saying that it was all you stayed in one place for all your life but mm-hmm. for a lot of people that was life so it's it's like I do like the idea that the king comes around and no one knows who he is but, yeah. but everyone knows who each other are and yeah. <laughs> you know it's it's that kind of that kind of sort of parochialness of it which yeah. is is very pleasing yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of deliberate anachronisms. And, you know, mostly like that's totally fine. I'm all for deliberate oh, yeah, yeah. anachronisms. I did want to highlight one that is actually an intra-medieval <laughs> deliberate anachronism, which is a great joke for, I guess, medievalists. And I don't know, maybe this is somebody who would be more a standard figure that you would know, like, that you would like learn in history class in England, but here would not be. And that is the Perkin Warbeck's makers of high class torture equipment. Not in the slightest. I had okay. I have no idea who this is. I just thought it was a funny name. So oh, I, okay. so I'm quite so, interested now. Oh, okay. So <laughs> this I thought interest. was hysterical as a nice little in joke for people who are pretty familiar with medieval English history. Because Perkin Warbeck is a 15th century pretender to the English throne. Oh, okay. This yeah. is the thing, social historian, don't do kings. <laughs> so like, again, when like everyone's everyone's going to be watching this going like, how, how on earth is she a mm. medievalist? She's come on this podcast and all she's talked about is Angel Delight. Um, <laughs> b- b- uh, yeah, it's, uh, I'm not, um, like when it comes to like kings and uh, things like that and dates and stuff, I'm really bad. For me, it's that like before I really got into becoming like a real proper historian, my introduction to medieval history was that I read a lot of uh, basically like popular history and historical fiction about the English, about the English royal family. Okay, yeah. And like, that's what I was like super into doing in high school. And like, that was the kind of me like spark, and that was the thing that kind of sparked my interest in medieval history and eventually led to me becoming a medieval historian. So because of that, I immediately recognized the name Perkin Warbeck. He pretended to be, uh, you know, one of the uh, the infamous princes in the tower. Oh, okay. The sons of Edward IV, who allegedly were killed by Richard III. So uh, he then claimed to be uh, the younger of the two, Richard, and therefore having a much better claim to the throne than the current king, who was the Tudor king, Henry VII. Right, yeah. He eventually confessed very possibly under torture yeah. <laughs> to not in fact being Richard. Although apparently there are people who have commented that he actually kind of like based on the the portraits that we have kind of looked like Edward IV and maybe really was like an illegitimate son of him or another uh, member of the family. Weird. So like probably not actually Richard, although, you know, we genuinely have no idea what happened to the princes in the tower. So I mean, I guess technically who knows? Yeah, yeah, but it's, it's, 
but I suppose in that in sort of that scenario, there's, there's a lot of scope for just going. I am this person. You cannot prove me wrong. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, that's like a very medieval thing. Is that like yeah. you can very easily pretend to be somebody else? And that, that and that comes into the whole um like Robin Hood thing quite a lot as well. And yeah. Things like that. So. But yeah. But so I really love that it just like took this name, this kind of random name that, as I said, like for you know somebody who's very familiar with a medieval English royal family history is a name that really sticks out as being this kind of pretender to the throne, which I wonder is a kind of subtle joke trying to undermine John's claim. I also think that it's it's used because, like from my point of view of me going, oh, it's just a funny name, but because it sounds like a firm of lawyers. <laughs> Right. <laughs> like Perkin Warbecks or like yeah. an estate agent, who were the th- people that usually like sponsor those kind of events. Yeah. So I like I think it's it might it might be partly that it you know, it is sort of that kind of thing, but but it's also this is a real medieval name that sounds really Yeah. Those kind of all all that's going through my head is Lily Crapchill Cut. <laughs> um, which is a, a genuine estate agent in Cornwall, mm, because okay. <laughs> because the surname Lily Crap is a thing, right? But yeah, so so I was super into the Perkin Warbeck reference. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah, my biggest complaint in terms I imagine of historical. It's gonna be, I'm, I was going to say, I imagine your biggest complaint is going to be my biggest complaint as well. So my biggest historical inaccuracy complaint is actually like a super nitpicky date thing. Yes, it is the same. <laughs> Which is that, okay, so we know that it's set in specifically 1195. So this is the date, because this is the date that gets mentioned in the context of the rat sell by dates. Yes. That it explicitly says that today is July 17th, 1195. Yeah. So John is referred to explicitly as being king, despite the fact that in 1195, he would in fact have been Prince John, as he would not be king until the death of his brother, Richard the Lionheart, in 1199. This gets even weirder, because also despite the fact that King Richard I does actually show up in in later series of Maid Marian and Hermione. Huh. So then it also makes no sense that he's king yeah. because he's younger and would not have the claim to the throne. So Yeah, oh, it makes complete no sense. Um, so yeah, that is the one thing that makes no sense whatsoever. So it seems really weird that they did that and didn't just like set it in 1205. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that, that was my main thing as well because as soon as they said 1195, I was automatically like, I was like, right, pause, slave. Um, you know, like, pause this, I need to look this up. Because again, the dates are not my thing. So um, I was like, right, I swear 1195 is before John came onto the throne. And yeah, so. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely have, I have something of a head for dates. Although, you know, there are some dates I happen to know and some that I don't. That date, 1199, I actually like really just like straight up know for right. like for various reasons. I don't, I actually am not 100% sure why. Like that is one of the dates that just immediately hit me as like, nope, that's wrong. John's not king in 1195. <laughs> I was going to say the only dates I can really think of it that like when you're taught to in Britain are like honestly like 1066 and then yeah. uh 1215 and then right. <laughs> like you're just taught like these you random John's dates by 1215 but uh <laughs> yeah 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 you're just taught these random random dates and have them sort of very very firmly drilled into yeah. you but, but other than that you don't really get you, because history is taught in a very very specific way in um mm-hmm. in british schools i don't know if it's still the case but certainly when i was young history went in secondary school 1066 Romans, Tudors, World War Two, World War One, 
uh, Victorians. Ten sixty six before the Romans. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, yeah. Ten sixty six is the first thing you did to do because it's really important. And then you and go then, backwards. And then you go back to the Romans. Then you jump forward to the Tudors. Then you go to. So you don't do wait? Do you do so you do the Magna Carta or no? Nope. No. Okay, so not you really. The Magna you, Carta. Just, you know that the Magna Carta happens. That's all you need to know about the Magna Carta. Okay. The words habeas corpus come into it. No one knows what they mean. <laughs> so yeah, that's 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 pr- pretty much that's pretty much it. Right. I mean, you know, I will say as as an American, what I did is uh, I did, and this is I think fairly standard. Although this isn't like you know this wasn't like an official curriculum per se, but I did two years of American history in high school and then did. European history, all of it in one year. Wow. I was going to say, I'm, you know, I'm assuming, but you know, you get to learn American history, which is a really great thing. So, you know, I'm assuming you get to learn all about all the different tribes that got, got to be around at the time. And, you know, you get to learn about all those interactions <laughs> and how, you know, there are so many diverse things about America. And I imagine you know, learning about all that in two years is really hard, but really fun. How sarcastic am I managing to be? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so American history starts with Plymouth Rock. No, I guess it starts with Columbus. American history starts with Columbus. Oh, I see. You are more likely to learn the names of Columbus's ships than the names of the various native peoples he murdered. Oh, that's really interesting. <laughs> British history is really weird, like, uh, in terms of, like, learning about the member medieval period. You don't learn yeah. a huge amount about it. I know my sister did Thomas Beckett mm-hmm. um, and, and the plague. And that's that's pretty much all I know <laughs> that she learned about, about the medieval period. I'm like, oh great, those are two. Yeah, they're fine, but they no. don't. It doesn't really help. Um, right. <laughs> I wanted to then move on to our next segment, Storia et Veritas, so history and truth, which is where we talk about a real person, event, or phenomenon from the medieval world. And this is the segment where I'm always especially excited to have another medievalist on because it means I can make them do all the work and not have to do as much research as normal. And today I have put Mabel in charge of doing this segment and talking about the origins of the Robin Hood legend. This meant that I had to go back and read my undergrad dissertation. Which is uh, sometimes a horrifying endeavor, I know. (laughs) Yeah, and that was eight years ago. So it was, it's... It's really hard. And I haven't studied anything medieval, really, at that stage either. So reading it back, I'm like, oh, you are so naive. But uh, luckily, I did do Robin Hood for that. So I have read about Robin Hood, but I'm sorry if any of it's spectacularly inaccurate. (laughs) But um, that's my uh, that's my world now. I'm I'm not. I'm not a I'm not a real medievalist anymore. Oh. oh, you're a real medievalist if you believe yourself to be. Oh yes. <laughs> Don't tell everyone that. <laughs> yeah, maybe I, I, maybe C- I shouldn't actually. Maybe <laughs> I should edit that one out. <laughs> I am C. Leeds will run out of drink if you if we tell everyone that. Well, in America, has a lot of white supremacists who think they're medievalists. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I let's, involve let's, them. let's let's dis- let's not encourage the idea that you're a medievalist if you believe you are. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but, but but yeah, the. Uh, I guess I guess technically I'm a medievalist. There we yeah. go. We can we can go with it in the same way that yeah. technically I I can teach history, um, yes. which is is going to be an interesting sort of thing with me going oh crap what is all of the um, <laughs> A level syllabus? I'm going to be like one of those teachers that's like a page ahead of their students. It's terrible. <laughs> so yeah, Robin Hood is a really really interesting phenomenon. Partly because of just how long it's stayed around. Yeah, apparently, it, like, in terms of just how long it's been about, it's, like, one of the longest standing legends mm. ever, really. And certainly in terms of, like, popularity, how it's, it's, it's managed to stay that madly popular mm-hmm. over centuries and centuries. But there's quite a lot of uh, mystery surrounding it, I guess. I 
I say mystery. It's not. It's not like there's not proper detective well there might be proper detectives going after it let's face it what else are medievalists except people who just get way too into dead folk we're we're kind of detectives in our own way yeah so lots have been theorized about it because it's so popular as well so it means that lots of research has been been done on it but not always necessarily very well i guess Mm -hmm. um the main source for most information i would go for on royal robin hood historically speaking is like as in not very recent would be this guy called jc holt who wrote like this Mm -hmm. book on robin hood and he's got some really good stuff about it so that's why i'm getting most of my information so so that everyone knows because if nothing else i'm going to quote my sources so the the first robin hood ballads came along in manuscripts that are dated around 1400 to 1500 Mm -hmm. the first one robin hood and the monk is from about 1450 they reckon but there is a lot of evidence that Robin Hood was around a long time before that. Mm-hmm. Partly because of how the how the things are put together, like how the poems are put together. Like they're clearly oral poems that have been like condensed and made into like yeah. compilations. Like the most famous one being the guest, which is like several fits, um, which means like which is like like acts and not just mm-hmm. like seizures but they've got uh so it's in in the, the several acts and the way they've done it is it, it's 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 kind of weird because some of them don't make sense in relation to each other so it's clearly uh-huh. just like all the favorite bits that someone's just chopped together and made one story but but uh holt theorizes that the origins of the robin hood ballads and legends comes in about the 13th century and then one of the things they reckon is like the the one of the stories in the guest might be b- based on like a real incident in the early 14th century hmm. that um, happened. Because what's really weird is like the sheriff of Nottingham is mentioned in the guest, but it's set in Yorkshire, so oh. it's like, so it's really weird. So it sort of spreads all over these real places. Uh-huh. Um, in terms of like the like the real Robin Hood, there are like several c- candidates for it Mm. and they're usually people who turned up in court because it was just so easy to become an outlaw because all you had to do to become an outlaw was just not turn up in court and Uh yeah so you could have done literally anything like the smallest misdemeanor which is what makes uh, Maid Marian so interesting because they get arrested for these very very small things and um so yeah you could have had this like minor minor rule breaking and if you didn't turn up to court but because either you got confused what day it was or something came Mm -hmm. up or things like that you are now an outlaw and it's so there's actually quite a lot of choice, but, but but there's lots of things. There's like lots of Robins and Roberts and Hods and Hobhods and Hoods mm-hmm. and and Hodes and all this kind of thing. But 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 what is usually reckoned is that he's actually sort of an amalgam of like several of these people uh-huh. with some real with like the just the general sort of feeling of it yeah. so and i guess you know if you if you take it for, from the notion that like robert is a quite common name you know yeah quite common name anyway and you've got lots of these kind of robin hoods and hods and things so yeah. you know i suppose if you've got a few of those in different areas then yeah. you know it all amalgamates into one person and then becomes like this this legend um i've got a really nice quote from what the guest because um the stories the notion of him like robbing the rich and giving support that's that all came much later on including like the Uh archery contest so the idea of the archery Mm. contest and stuff that's all like tennyson Mm -hmm. so like a lot of that stuff doesn't come along until at least the 18th century yeah so like you've got this sort of thing and it's a testament to how utterly popular it became how quickly it seems to have spread because like we said there there is the first sort of reference to robin hood is in piers plowman which is Mm -hmm. a very fun poem but incredibly long just don't go like looking it up (laughs) thinking it's going to be a quick read it's it's like a whole thick book of of just 
ease. That, uh, I knew a lot he... of people who did the Piers Plowman seminar in graduate school who uh, started out very like bright eyed and bushy tailed. And then over the course of the semester, just like their faces kind of turned gray with the... Uh... Every time they talk about Pierce I, I I like Pierce Plowman, but, but but oh my god, there are so there's so much of it you can just skip. <laughs> I'm a terrible medievalist, so I've actually never read Pierce Plowman. Oh, no. but, uh... I'm a ter- I didn't know that Perkin Warbeck was a real person, and that's and I got the um I got the uh, what was it the for, the Richard the Third bursary or something, and I still know nothing <laughs> about Richard the Third. But so the the notion of like the robbing the, him being a slighted nobleman who robs the mm-hmm. rich of the poor is definitely not in there yet. Yeah. Well, which is actually where again the the notion of uh, Maid Marian, where yeah. it becomes really interesting because Maid Marian like, that is actually probably closer to like the original ballads yeah than it is to uh like the the more sort of what we consider like the traditional robin hood story yeah because he's not at all a slighted nobleman he is just a dude who lives in the forest mm-hmm. but what's quite interesting is that a lot of the themes and things it, it how it's managed to stay popular is that a lot of its themes are very sort of they have that longevity mm-hmm. so um it's, it's incredibly anti-clerical yeah and over time that's morphed into like the rob from the rich and give to the poor thing when mm-hmm. actually it's not so much wealth he's um if this quote sort of illustrates it he says but look ye do no husband harm that tilleth with his plow no more ye shall no good yeoman that walketh by the greenwood shore nor no knight nay no squire that would be a good fellow. But these bishops and these archbishops, you shall them beat and bind. The high sheriff of Nottingham, him hold ye in your mind. So mm. it's definitely less about how rich that person is than whether he is a good person or not. In fact, you find that in the guests mm-hmm. where they take the knight. So they invite this knight to dinner and it, it seems to be like a popular thing where they just present him with the bill and then uh-huh. you know, say, oh, now you have to pay for this lovely dinner I've given you. And yeah. so, and this knight goes, oh my God, I'm really sorry. I have no money. This is terrible. Uh, I only have this much on me. And they search his proper pockets and they and they find okay. out he does only have like six pence on him or something. And they're like, oh my God, no, don't worry about it. What happened? Um, he's like, oh, my son's in prison. Uh, I owe this debt to the, to the abbot in York. And they're like, mm. oh, well, you see, like a really nice guy here i'll lend it to you <laughs> like so Aww. robin hood just starts by yeah. lending this night money and it's clearly not that he's like poor but that he's a good guy and he's doing like the right thing by his son and things yeah. like that so actually it's not about wealth it's about like misacquired wealth or wealth that is not befitting of someone's station so like the abbots are described really terribly mm-hmm. and the sheriff of nottingham because he's the one that sort of you know, is in charge and imposing all these punishments and things like that. So it's less, it's m- much less about robbing the rich to give to the poor as robbing the undeserving rich and giving it to the deserving of whatever strike right. that happens to be. Also, they use the money for themselves. Which is much more medieval in concept in terms of how they thought about wealth and poverty, that uh, despite yeah. the fact that, you know, of course, there are certain quotes from the Gospels about how difficult it is for a rich man to enter heaven. Yeah. In practice, people are very much aware of the fact that there are rich people who are deserving of their wealth and rich people who are seen as less deserving of their wealth and as, uh, you know, participating in certain kinds of exploitative practices. And the poor, too, as they're being very much kind of deserving and undeserving poor. 
yeah and that that you see that a lot in like the Robin Robin Hood tales, particularly like um but you see a lot of it in sort of the anticlericalism which mm-hmm. is what makes it so interesting as in terms of its longevity because those elements stay in the written versions, which means that there has to have been enough dissatisfaction with the clergy over a couple of hundred years yeah. for this to have stayed in so really p- people talking about like the build up to the Reformation and stuff it gives a really interesting thought about how that builds up yeah. because it's these are not recent concerns you Mm -hmm. know you know there's a monk who's just an admittedly the monk just tells on him the monk's like oh i'll kidnap (laughs) him and take him to the sheriff and i i dobbed him into the sheriff and nothing and they kill him and his page (laughs) there is like tiny boy murder yeah in in like the original ones there's also one where they take the sheriff of nottingham's head and just parade it about on a spike and (laughs) they're a lot more violent they're a lot less sort of like jolly uh Mm you know, jolly japes than it is in... Which, the sort of uh, jolly, ironic, uh, playful Mm -hmm. sort of aspects of um, the Robin Hood stuff comes more and more from, like, the May Day celebrations. So, like, you've got the notion of, you know, because May Day is, like, is is one of those sort of... I guess the the best thing to describe it to for, like, more and more audiences than, like, uh, Disney's Hunchback of Notre Dame where they have topsy-turvy day and things like that. And so the idea is on these days you can, you know, mock figures of authority and stuff but, yeah. but they took it so far with robin hood plays that robin hood plays were b- b- banned for mm. quite in quite <laughs> a lot of places even as far up as like aberdeen and stuff so the notion right. that it it did move as far as up as aberdeen and as far down as like exeter and cornwall and mm-hmm. you know all this kind of thing is you know shows just how enormously popular it was and that's really what, what is the main heart of like the origin of Robin Hood. It's actually not to do with, and and the fact that it keeps changing as a legend is actually a really good thing. The fact that it changed, yeah. it's changed to match everyone's um, notions of like how society works and things like that. Right. So it's so it went from the notion of the deserving rich and the deserving poor and the anti-clericalism to the robbing the rich to give to the poor in the sort of Victorian age where there was that sort of bent of philanthropy and and then it you know comes to like today's where it's become a lot more fragmented and no one Mm -hmm. quite knows what to do with it but it's a lot more parodied and yeah and the idea in like the sort of victorian versions of him being like a slighted nobleman that definitely Mm -hmm. ties in a lot more and also that's where it comes into the idea of the there being a bad prince in charge and like the good yeah. king is away and the bad prince is in charge where in the like the original ballads there are lots of different kings but robin is yeah. always very respectful to the king and usually gets his pardon and mm-hmm. uh, or the king goes oh it was very funny everyone was fooled so let's just let's just let him off mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and and then genuinely the ending to World War one robin hood ballad they go he goes oh well apparently they fooled everyone so <laughs> <laughs> it's just we'll just write this one off which um it's quite it's quite the uh it's quite the cover-up for I can't be asked to go out into the forest and chase these people. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it's the idea of having that sort of good and bad kingship and Prince John deciding to be this pretender to the throne and there being this false king. And, you know, that ties into, like, how the um, in the Victorian period they were trying to get, like, the royalty to be more revered and things like mm-hmm. that. So, actually, it's, it's, like, it's really interesting the Robin Hood story can be... But the Robin Hood story can be so is so adaptable and can be so twisted to fit the the mores and the the valleys and the and the aims of each particular time that it t- turns up in, which is why it's 
it's just it's always managed to be you know you bring out something with robin hood people are going to go see it because it 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 sort of hits people on that level and yeah. is such a basic premise that it can be adapted to almost anything. So, yeah, and it yeah. makes sense that, you know, this is really something that keeps being made. There were two terrible Robin Hood movies that came out in 2018. Yeah, I, I really need to, <laughs> I, I listened to your episodes on them, like on the, did you do both of them? I can't remember. I know, uh, I've just done one? one of them thus far. I was going to say, uh... I did listen to that one and was just like, Oh, God, can I be bothered? Um, (laughs) It is bad. Our next section, Fabula Nostra, is where we come up with an alternative TV show, movie, etc. inspired by this one. I think this show has a lot of potential to be updated for a modern audience. And uh, especially because I like having this kind of like quippy, anachronistic Robin Hood comedy. Yeah. With I also just love this concept of Marion as the real hero and Robin as an idiot. Yeah, yeah. I think that also having it be kind of deliberately anachronistic anyway makes it a great candidate for having race-blind casting. Um, I think Letitia Wright, who plays uh, Shuri in The Black Panther, would be fantastic as Marion. That's a very nice choice. I was also thinking uh, Josh Hutcherson, who's PETA in The Hunger Games, I think could do a kind of doltish but seems sometimes impressive Robin. Very interesting, yeah. And uh, so I also would want to age down King John a little bit because also, uh, you know, it's even if we do, you know, we're not going to do this 1195 thing necessarily, or if it's 1195, no. he's Prince rather than King John, but John in 1195 is like 30. You you just so. want a sexy Prince John, don't you? You're just like, I just yeah, want a Prince I mean, John so I my can ideal look at. Sexy, my ideal Prince John is Oscar Isaac. Oh, fair enough. But <laughs> because this I'm going comedy, I was thinking of casting Adam Scott. Okay. I have who no I think does a really is, good but... like comedic villain in uh, his appearances on The Good Place. Okay. And then finally, I've decided you know what ben mendelson orson krennic uh as uh, yeah. as sheriff of nottingham okay. i think that his like really like he has some solid moments where he really hams it up and i think those are like wasted on dour robin hood and would be much better in this yeah i was gonna say you've gone really uh you've gone really slow on the british casting for this and you're gonna be so <laughs> upset when i get to mine because it's just all people no one knows <laughs> well go for it uh, <laughs> i'll have everyone doing terrible british accents yeah yeah oh no that oh god no <laughs> that would destroy me there's enough of that uh, <laughs> no um i i managed to come up with a recasting for mine and i'd probably do it really similar but but yeah i'd probably set it later and mm-hmm. not have it be 11.95 but i'd have mine um i cast mine pretty much exclusively from like the british comedy mm-hmm. sort of scene so i've made it very sort of close to like the original but but, yeah. but it means i've just i've just given i'm just going i know a lot of the people that listen to this are american so i'm just g- going like <laughs> yes i'm giving everyone people to look up who need who deserve to be looked up <laughs> yes. so um so that's my aim with this including but, but me. <laughs> i, I literally j- just approached it as if a bbc the bbc came to me and said we yeah. want to do it again awesome so You're uh may and i had a few had a few like a couple of candidates for and i narrowed it down to either harriet dyer who's a really good good, good comedian and cornish so you know mm-hmm. i've got to, got to promote my own and or rivka utley who's um from leeds and is just brilliant mm-hmm. and has that kind of quite terrifying but sort of primary school teacher-esque look about her that that it would really work robin hood tom allen because i think a camp Mm -hmm. idiot robin hood would be like a camp just tom allen is wonderful as well but but also the just that that sheer yeah a bit of campness to robin as Mm -hmm. uh and 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 that pretentious 
sort of aspect of it he'd carry really really well king john um i came up with three potentials mm-hmm. it's really bad the, the other thing is like um in terms of like my my casting it, yours was m- much more diverse than mine unfortunately m- mine is mostly just white men because <laughs> because that's comedy in the uk uh for for the most part especially for the people that would get on tv but right. yeah um i'd go for a ian bolsworth phil jupiter or aid edmondson i think any of those would be a perfect choice for uh king john that they'd all do it kind of differently but they'd do it really well mm-hmm. For, for Barrington, I would just get D- Danny John Jules back. Yeah. I'm just like, no, <laughs> great. screw it. He's just coming back. Yeah. <laughs> the Sheriff of Nottingham would be David Mitchell, though, which I'm really pleased with as a choice because he would totally have that sort of sneery thing. <laughs> Gary and Graham, two northern comedians. Actually, I don't know whether Eddie's nor- northern, but Jamie, Jamie McGinn and Eddie Hurst, they are two mm. like lesser-known comedians, but they are so wholesome uh-huh. that, that they would work perfectly. Greg Davis is rabies because he's tall. Um, <laughs> I'm just going with that. The, Greg Davis is like 6'7", so perfect. Mm-hmm. And little Ron, I couldn't think of anyone actually little enough um, who I know is acting mm-hmm. and doing like comedy acting in Britain today, which is really sad because I, I should, but, but um, we won't... F- in the end, I went for Andy Hamilton because mm-hmm. I imagine he could write it along with Greg Jenner, who is the guy who writes horrible histories. Mm, so I thought nice. together they would make a really good writing team because you've got the history and you've got the yeah. thing. And I also um, snuck in an extra piece of casting mm-hmm. <laughs> because uh, there is Guy of Gisborne comes in later mm, on and okay. I cast him as Judge James Backman because he is very funny but also he is he plays opposite tom allen in bleak expectations the uh, mm-hmm. mock dickens radio show and they're very <laughs> good great name. playing off each other oh it's it's a beautiful show but yes so that that was my casting I, no one knows who any of those people are except <laughs> me and a few of my friends and but you can all get screwed because they're all great <laughs> a calling for us to uh, for all of us americans to uh, look I'm up like... some cool british comedians <laughs> yeah like british comedians come on <laughs> for our final segment we now get to the point where we are going to rate this movie on a simple scale of one to five where both myself and my guest are welcome to rate it on any factors that we consider important whatsoever which can include historical accuracy general goodness and also as usually is the case for me how much this particular property hates women (laughs) (laughs) fair enough so, uh, would you like to go first for your rating? Five out of five pancakes. <laughs> awesome. That's that's it. <laughs> I'm going to do four out of five since uh, I think there's definitely a couple of things that, uh, you know, don't necessarily hold up as well for a modern audience. And because I'm reasonably annoyed about the 1195 thing. Oh, yeah, but, that's fair. Uh, yeah. But I think this is a lot of fun. I think it's a really cool way for kids to have some kind of exposure to something that takes place in the Middle Ages. And uh, overall, this is definitely, I think, one of the better things I've watched for this podcast. Oh, that's really nice to hear. Again, yeah. for me, it was an exercise in pure nostalgia, and it was wonderful. <laughs> Just me going, oh, I, I remember, I remember, like, Thursday afternoons. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, thank you for suggesting this. Yes, thank you for uh, going along and watching something that was completely baffling for yeah, me. Yeah, happy um, to. Just me going, oh yeah, I forgot how many really, really specific jokes were in this. Only a few references I didn't get at all. It was alright, there were quite a few I didn't get and then had to have and then had to have my pause slave, um, which is what he's called now. Um, just poke me and go, Oh, that joke means that. So Because right. um, like, I didn't get the Clough Nottingham Forest thing at first. Yeah. Um because I'm not 
a fan of football. Uh-huh. And then I was like, and he was like, famous manager of Nottingham Forest. And I was like, oh, okay, thank you. Yeah, well, I definitely would 100% pass that over. So uh... Yeah, yeah. But I did get the um, Eric coming up to the Oki thing, which I was pleased about. So I was like, oh, okay, now, I, now I'm, I've, I've, I've redeemed myself in b- British sporting. So thank you for bringing this to my attention and uh, for being my British culture whisperer, uh, as well as my medievalist guest. Very specific period of British yes. culture. Yeah. So are there places that our listeners can find you on the internet if they would like? I can be found pretty much on anything at Slatteroo, S-L-A to T-T-E-R-O-O. So you can find me. I do weird drawings. I do occasionally, I, I will occasionally yell at stuff. I have I have occasionally joined in on like the medieval Twitter. Uh, the medieval Twitter is, conf- is fun slash terrible, but sometimes yeah, fun. yeah. So mostly when people have just been sending me things, going, "We need to do this," and I find it about four months later and go, "Oh right. yeah, yeah, that would be good." <laughs> <laughs> but yes, you, you can find me. Um, I would. I I don't have any gigs coming up, so I can't tell any British people. Um, because I'm moving to Liverpool. Oh. I'm moving to Liverpool in literally two weeks, so. <laughs> So you'll need time to establish yourself there. Yeah, yeah. If you're in Liverpool, hit up the open mic nights. I might well be there. So Awesome. But yes, thank you so much for having me. It's been amazing. It's of been course. really it's been really fun to talk about medieval stuff again. I've not done it in so long. Yeah, of course. And you can find us on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts and your preferred podcasting apps and on Twitter at Media Evil Pod, M-E-D-I-A-E-V-A-L-P-O-D. Very much appreciate uh, five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts and we'll read any new five-star ratings on future episodes. So take that as an incentive to write something about how much you like us. And if you have any questions or feedback for us, please also, and by us, I guess I mean me, because I'm the one who will be reading the email, please send me an email at media.evilpod at gmail.com. And you can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, and other internet locations at Sarah If Decker. Thank you, Mabel, again for joining me. Thank you. Yeah, I was going to say, don't send in any uh, emails to me about all the things <laughs> I got wrong. <laughs> just, just please don't. Send them, but, send them to me, and I won't pass them on. Knowing my luck, we'll probably, you'll pro- we'll probably just get lo- you'll probably just get loads and loads of requests for me to send Angel Delight out to. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Please, please mail Angel Delight uh, across the, across the world. <laughs> So thank you, and uh, thank you everyone for listening to Media Evil. Bye. Later on. Actually, sir, his name isn't Stinker. Isn't it? No, it's Snooker. Snooker? <laughs> well, no one's going to make me money out of a game called Snooker, are they? Carry on. Why don't you carry on with a watch? Yeah.